genre. It's Franchiseography, the podcast that digs deep and boldly goes into the entire filmographies of Hollywood's biggest film franchises. I'm Scott Corelli. I'm Nick Jimenez. Today we are continuing our miniseries, or concluding rather, our miniseries on the Star Trek franchise with the final film so far, set in the Kelvin timeline. It's 2016's Star Trek Beyond, and we have a guest joining us to talk about Idris Elba, Hologram doubles and drive-through space stations is our friend and writing partner, Cass Fredrickson. Welcome. Hi. Hello. Yay. <laughs> Yay. Live long and prosper. <laughs> Live yeah. long and prosper, Cass. <clears throat> we um, haven't seen you on the show, if I'm not mistaken, since Men in Black International. Yeah. The conclusion Pirates. to our very first miniseries. Oh, oh, oh that's yeah. right. Pirates. That's right. I forgot <laughs> about that. Man. Which one was it? How could you? It three? Could you? It was Dead Man's yeah. Chest, of course. Of course it was yes. Dead Man's Chest. Yeah. That's right. That's with right. The, with the three-way sword fight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Natch. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, so you're, you're a three-timer. That's an exclusive club. Um, but, uh, yeah, we're, we're, we are here to talk about uh, Star Trek Beyond, um, a movie that... Uh, Hardly anyone went and saw when it when it opened um, in theaters in uh, summer of 2016. Um, there were multiple reasons for that, but we'll we'll get into that as I go through the through the breakdown. But um, this is, uh, I would say, famously, but really just famously between the three of us, um, a movie that I have been trying to get cast to watch since I saw it in theaters in 2016. Yeah, um, yeah. and they have steadfastly refused for seven straight years uh, to watch this movie, despite me telling them it's much better than Star Trek Into Darkness. Um, So I want to start off by just hearing what you thought about Star Trek Beyond. Um, Well, uh, we watched it last night and Uh I really enjoyed it. Um, (laughs) and, And I was like, oh, why didn't we see this? And it came out in the summer of 2016. So I was in like the middle of planning my wedding and also starting mm-hmm. a podcast. So I was just like, oh, I was really busy. And also I did not care for Into Darkness. Um, but I love, when did that, when did Star Trek come out? Like 2008? Nine. 2009. Um, I saw that movie like five times in theaters. Like I, I think yeah. that's my favorite Star Trek movie. Um, and and I grew up on like Voyager and Next Gen, so like Star Trek's like in my blood. But I like I don't know, I just didn't see this one, and I really really <laughs> enjoyed it. And I'm glad I can watch it again when I feel like it because it was a lot of fun. 
Well, I will say that you are uh, not alone in um, your background with Trek and also the fact that you did not see this. But uh, I will I will talk about that a little bit later. Um, uh, Nick, as we've talked about through this whole miniseries, we rewatched all these movies to get ready for this because this was also coming out. This movie was the the culmination of the 50th anniversary of Star Trek. Um, this is, was the 50th anniversary year. This was the, this was the big, the big thing. Um, wow. you know, 66 to, to 16. So, so yeah, this was a big Star Trek year. Um, what were, did we, 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 yeah, we were not, uh, we weren't anywhere near each other at this point. So were you in Chicago or were you in LA at this point when this movie came out? This was in this, the nebulous period where I was like moving cause I, I moved around the summer. Uh, what I remember, and I think you both know me as a pretty optimistic person when it comes to like the movies. I'm usually pretty excited and like, whoa, there's so much to see. <laughs> sure. uh, the summer of 2016 was a shitty time to try and go to the movies. Mm-hmm. There was like nothing. It was like the Warcraft movie. Yeah. Um, oh, God. Yeah. And so like, I just remember morale at the time was low for movies that su- that whole summer. I and don't think anything. And it wouldn't get any higher with the events of the rest of the year. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's we'll talk about it for sure. But this is a very this is a fascinating movie to have come out when it did. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of with age and perspective. It's kind of. Yeah. Yeah. For me, I the thing that I was um, I, I, I felt like I was the only person who was like extremely hyped for this movie. I mean, Nick, Nick was definitely excited with me um, and, and was joining me on the like rewatch of all the Star Trek movies uh, that summer. But um, for me, my fandom of of Simon Pegg specifically, like, yes, as an actor, but cer- certainly as a writer. When he was announced as the writer of this movie, I was like, oh, shit, it is on. This movie is going to rule. Um, and I was I, I held steadfast to that belief um, the whole time. And I and I felt that I was uh, rewarded for it when I finally saw it. Um, but no one else seemed to agree that this was as good as I thought it was. Um, everyone was like, that's the most anti Star Trek movie I've ever seen. And I was like, I what? Fundamentally, yeah, because they rode roller motorcycles, Cass, because they rode motorcycles around and it was loud and, and action uh, heavy and and it was it was directed by a Fast and the Furious guy. And, and so it was just the most anti Star Trek movie that it could possibly be. Right. Totally. Um, I okay. <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there. Um, so I, I, I fully uh, did not agree with this at the time. And I would get in arguments with with. Uh, Star Trek fans about this movie and about how good it is. And they would just sort of do the thing that most people do when I get really excited about something that they don't care about is like, they just like kind of stop talking and shut up and just, yeah, okay, whatever, (laughs) Scott. Thanks. Cool. Um, Glad you liked it. I did watch, I did watch your name eventually, you know? Yeah, that's true. That that is true. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, that was it took, my Star it took, Trek took you almost as long as it took cast to watch this movie. Um, yeah, neck and neck. <laughs> uh, so um, I adore this movie. I think it, it's tough because I do really love that first Kelvin movie a lot, but I do think that this is a better movie um, overall. I think it's. I think it. 
it it does more for like my my inner Trekkie than I think the original Star Trek did, which is more just like, oh, wow, like what a great way to like reboot this franchise, you know, was my feeling of the first one. Like, wow, this is a really exciting time to like these characters in this world. Um, whereas this, uh, you know, I think at the end of the day, like I want to see more Kelvin movies. I do. I want to see the, this cast again. But if this was the last one we got, I think it's a pretty good one to go out on for like. A variety of reasons um, that we'll we'll get into as we like go into the breakdown, but um, I yeah I absolutely adore this movie. I think it's fantastic. Um, so the development of this movie, however, uh, we have to go back. We have to circle back. We have to talk about um, a conspiracy theorist and nine eleven truther R- Roberto Orsi, um, who was. At the time of, yeah, Cass, listen to our uh, Star Trek Into Darkness episode. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, at the time of uh, of Into Darkness's sort of production, um, you know, it was, I believe, you know, we had we had in 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 2012, right? Disney bought Star Wars. They start pushing um, into development. Of, of Star Wars Episode Seven, the film that would become The Force Awakens. Um, and they had their eye very heavily on J.J. Abrams because of what he did with Star Trek and because everyone knew that he was a much bigger Star Wars fan. Um, they were like, I think that's our guy. So he was already, they were already romancing Abrams throughout the Into Darkness stuff. And... It became clear that he was going to be the pick and that he was going to go and, and, and direct a Star Wars movie. Um, and so right around that time, Roberto Orsi just sort of stepped up and was like, hey, I see what's going on here. Abrams is out. You're going to be looking for a new director for the next one. Well, look no further, baby. I want to direct this thing. I want this to be my directorial debut. And after some negotiation... Um, and I think the the um, reaction to Into Darkness on a box office level, they were like, oh, maybe it would be a good idea to hire a direct a first time director with a background in producing and, and writing these movies because he'll be a little cheaper. And that'll be another way to like bring the budget down, especially considering like we're going to be paying an arm and a leg for this cast at this point. So. They greenlight the movie with him attached as director. He goes and he writes a script with a couple of co-writers. Um, those co-writers, uh, I forget who, I forget what their names are, um, but it's not particularly important, um, because obviously they don't have a credit on this movie at the end of the day, but, uh, they went and they wrote a movie that, um, Orsi felt he wanted to make the most Star Trek movie ever, like start as, as Trek as possible. And so he goes and he writes this script, um, and, uh, uh, Paramount, by the time he turns it out, turns it in, the article from Badass Digest that ruins his career comes out, um, which is an examination of Star Trek Into Darkness, revealing the fact that he put a lot of his uh, conspiracy theory and truth or beliefs into the DNA of Star Trek Into Darkness, which no one making that movie had any idea of. Um, and, uh, that revelation sort of ruined Robert Orsi's career. Um, he's kind of barely worked since, um, and like, he's done a few things like he, he's an executive producer on that Hawaii five O reboot, but that started in 2010. So I, that doesn't even count. And he was on uh, scorpion, which launched in 2014. 
which is, I think, prior to uh, that article hitting and, and wrecking his career. So he's kind of done nothing since that article hit. Um, and, uh, and yeah, they didn't like his script because they were like, this is way too Star Trek. This is going to alienate uh, most viewers. And uh, they fired him off the project and started decided they were going to start over from scratch. But they were in a rush because... 2016 was right around the corner and they were like, we have to get a Star Trek movie out for the 50th anniversary. Like we will be absolute failures as custodians of this property. If we do not release something new in 2016, like we have to do that. Um, And so they're like, well, like who can we get to write this? And they're like, well, we need after, after the reaction to into darkness, we need to get somebody who has nerd cred, who, 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 like, you know, people are going to like when we announce them as writing it. So they went out to a few people, uh, but eventually they settled on Simon Pegg, um, their own uh, Montgomery Scott, and uh, asked him if he would be interested in writing it. And he was like, well, I've never, I don't, I don't write things by myself typically. I need a, a writing partner. And they're like, well, that's great because we have this guy named Doug Jung um, who is kind of it's interesting he's one of those guys one of those screenwriters who makes it in hollywood based on a spec gets that gets passed around but never made and then he goes from project to project on writing stuff that never gets made gets like and then and then you, he ends up this guy that no one's ever heard of ends up co-writing a star trek movie and you're like where the hell did this guy come from he doesn't have any produced credits um but he he wrote a movie called diamond which is like about the 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 biggest diamond heist that's ever existed in history um never got, that was his spec never got made but bad robot brought him in on a development deal and he wrote a movie called god particle which was then like rewritten into an inch with within an inch of its life to become the the Cloverfield paradox, um, which he only has like a story credit on, uh, because none of it is his screenplay at that point. Um, but yeah, he was uh, Bad Robot liked him a lot, and he was a big uh, Trek fan, and so they brought him in, and they just married Simon Pegg and Doug Jung together, and they're like, "Great, you guys are now writing partners. Make us a Star Trek movie." Um, and so the two of them work together, and they create a Star Trek movie, and. What is interesting about their process is that, and this goes, I think, toward the failure of this movie um, uh, at a box office level, is that they were, Paramount was like, this Robert Orsi script is too Star Trek. We want something that's less Star Trek. What we want you to do is take another genre, and then we want you to take that genre and then just merge it, put Star Trek characters into that genre. And like, that's what we want you to do. But we want, we don't want it to feel like a Star Trek movie. And so, um, Simon Pegg in a lot of interviews talked about how like, yeah, this is going to be sort of like a uh, anti Star Trek, like Robert Orsi's script was too Star Trekky, and they want, they hired us to make something that was like not Star Trekky at all. And, and would go out of his way in interviews to talk about how un-Star Trek the next Star Trek movie is going to be. And as a result, I think of all of that, you can look at message boards at the time, and a lot of Star Trek fans were like, you're really going to put out an anti-Star Trek movie for the 50th anniversary of Star Trek? What bullshit? I refuse to go see this. And so they lost a lot of guaranteed ticket sales when this movie came out because of their choice to double down on the anti-Star Trek of it all, the same choice that proved to be a success 
with the 2009 Star Trek film with Abrams lying and saying that he didn't even like Star Trek growing up. Um, in in marketing and things and like as this sort of balance of like Robert Orsi's a Trekkie but a- Abrams doesn't like Star Trek he's more of a Star Wars guy um, and and the merging of the two is going to make a really accessible thing and it really worked out for that but for this it backfired because Trek fans wanted a really good Star Trek movie for the 50th anniversary and according to all the interviews according to what everybody making the movie said this was not going to be that. Um, and it's and in help. terms of general audiences, right? Like people who aren't on Star Trek chat rooms and, and, right. and online all the time. The trailer for this movie that played every time I went to the movies that summer yep. was a very. Uh, this movie was directed by Justin Lin, the arguably the Fast and Furious guy, right? Which who, I'm getting to, uh, but yeah. And so they decided to also not market it as a Trek movie, but market it as a Kirk rides a cool motorcycle while wearing goggles and sabotage is blaring. And there's, you know, bones being like, here we go again. And even me leading up to like, God, this looks so generic and like try hard and like, look, we're not like start. And so I, I, it, it kind of like those two things kind of, neutralized any momentum this movie could have had going into its release in theaters. A hundred percent. And, and Star Trek into darkness didn't help matters either because um, despite being like a pretty substantial box office success, not, not as much I think as its predecessor, but still like did really well. People didn't really like it very much. It didn't, it didn't have as much staying power. People didn't love it with their whole heart the way that they loved that first one. Um, and, and so, and they felt lied to because they literally were, um, with, with the con reveal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, uh, I'm, I'm excited for you to listen to that Star Trek into darkness episode because I have a pitch on how to fix that. And I think I want to know what your opinion of it would be, but, um, yeah. Uh, so so detective on two twenty one B Baker Street. (laughs) No. Um, so, uh, uh, so so yeah so this movie comes out to very little fanfare and you're right the the Justin Lin of the of it all um, didn't help matters because it really felt like an anti Star Trek choice um, the short list of directors for this movie this this brought me back um, the original person that they that they were gunning for they were like we want him to direct this movie was Edgar Wright. Um, Edgar Wright turned it down because he was like I don't make movies like this I'm having a bad experience on Ant Man. Like, I, I don't want to go into another blockbuster. I just want to make my own movies. I don't want to do this. And so so he didn't do it, despite the fact that, like, Simon Pegg was writing it. And they thought, they probably thought, like, oh, well, we got an in. Like, you know, his buddy's writing it. He's directed his scripts before. This will be great. Um, but it didn't it didn't end up working out. Uh, so then they went to a short list. And, and this definitely brought me back. Like, uh, Rupert Wyatt was on that list. Um, uh, Duncan Jones was on that list. Uh, the guy, uh, Morten, uh, Tildum, a Norwegian film director who did Headhunters, um, and then went on to direct the imitation game, uh, which I, you know, the imitation game has a lot of issues, but I don't think directing is one of them. I think that that movie looks gorgeous. Mm -hmm. Like it's a, it's a real like warm bath of a movie visually. Like I really, I really uh, like him as a visual director. Oh, for sure. And context yeah. for directors, Rupert Wyatt, or for listeners, I mean. Oh, yes, uh, Rupert, yes, yes. Wa- Rupert Wyatt, director of Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Yes. Uh, that's the Why Cookie Rocket, Caesar is Home one. Right. And uh, Duncan Jones, director of Warcraft, 
Came up twice. Right. right. And Moon. Um, that's what he went on to do instead of, because uh, this was just post-source code. Um, right. I love they wanted him code. to do Star Trek, and instead he did Warcraft. Um, and so then they, they settled on, uh, on, on Justin Lin, who was also on the shortlist and Justin Lin was fucking pumped to direct a Star Trek movie because he was like, holy shit, I've been directing the same movie, like five movies in a row. I'm ready to do something different. Hell yeah. So, so he signs the hell up for, for Star Trek Beyond and his first note to Simon Pegg, he has his first meeting with Simon Pegg and he's Simon Pegg and Doug Jung. And he's like, guys, we're going to wreck the shit out of the Enterprise. And Simon Pegg, Simon Pegg was like, absolutely not. We can't do that. We've done it twice in the series of Star Trek. We blew it up in Search for Spock. It crash landed in Generations. There's nothing else to do. And, uh, and Into and, Darkness. Oh, right. And Into Darkness, like, it, it got wrecked as well. And he was like, we're not doing that again. That, that's a terrible idea. And Justin Lin's like, no, it's not, because I'm the director and I want to do it. So write it into the script. <laughs> and <laughs> and it, was, it, was a, it was a back and forth. It was a big argument that they had when Justin Lin first came on it. But Justin Lin, the thing that sold Simon Pegg on it was that Justin Lin was like, okay, look, I want the crash to result in this crew being split up in weird pairings that we've never seen before um, that will allow us to explore these characters in ways that we've never done it before. And then that was the thing that Simon Pegg was like, all right, I'll play your game, <laughs> you know? Um, and so uh, they, they end up, yeah, wrecking the Enterprise again. And, and Justin Lin was very excited to shoot this or, you know, post it, I guess, mostly. Worth noting, first non-white director in the franchise. That's very true. Very, very true. Um, still don't have a female director, but we'll get there one day. Um, we were close. We came close. We sure did. We came very close. Had, what did, has she directed anything since that? She's, is it S.J. Clarkson? Is that her yeah, name? Yeah, I think so. I think that's right. Yeah. I think she's always like, she's always in negotiations to direct some content, yeah. some sequel thing. And then like Ava always, DuVernay. You know, she's one of yeah. those, one of those deals. Yeah. Um, where you're just kind of like, I just wish they'd just make movies. That'd be cool. Or uh, Joe just... Cornish, who was also attached to direct this at one point, right? Um, no, he was attached to direct four. Uh, okay. Yeah, not this one. It was four. The one that will never happen. Yeah. Um, going back to the Robert Orsi script. So I did a ton of research into this because I was like, I want to know what this movie was. Like, what didn't they mm-hmm. like? Um, and what it what it turns out, which I find really interesting, is that... The thing that they were so hung up on was that he wanted to bring Shatner back because he wanted it to be about prime timeline Kirk coming to the Kelvin timeline with a bunch of Vulcans. And the plan was to restore the timeline. Um, And it was going to be about how. Spock, Kelvin Spock was torn between the fact that like, well, the Kelvin timelines where I live, but it would be pretty cool to restore Vulcan. And that's what the movie was huh. about. Yeah. Interesting. Um, and, and there, there was, there was no villain. Like if there's a villain, the villain was, uh, Kirk and some Vulcans. <laughs> and and so, a pipe. Yeah. And so, yeah with, a, with a metal pipe. Um, but yeah, that's, they didn't want that. Um, and, and it was, it was, uh, it was going to result in like that timeline going away forever, essentially. Um, and, uh, but it, Cass, it, what do so, you think of that? Yeah. Like, would you, would you buy a ticket to that? I don't know because I I'm pretty sure that Kelvin 
movie, like the Star Trek 2009 is the first Star Trek movie I saw. So like, oh. yeah, I don't know. Cause I watched all the, like a lot of the TV stuff, but I had never seen any of the movies prior to that. So I think I would be a little torn about that. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't it know. It feels a little Teen the Titans, t- Teen the... Titans go. It does. Yeah. Like the, the, the timeline, like timey wimey-ness of it is interesting to me from like a Doctor Who fan perspective, but I don't know sure. about like the Star Trek thing. So, well, well, yeah. but I mean, you know, uh, we don't love that they restored Gallifrey in Doctor Who either. So, you know, that's, yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> there's precedence. Um, so <laughs> I, I, uh, I, I will also say this that storyline, that concept did not go away. So yes, they shelved it for this, but then when they came back around to do Star Trek four, um, or Star Trek 14, as the case may be, um, they went back to that idea, but they replaced, uh, William Shatner's Kirk with Chris Hemsworth Kirk. Um, and the idea international, that that was going to be the idea was that it was it was it was not that it was basically that the Vulcans from the prime timeline came to the Kel- the Kelvin universe to like stop everything. But in the result of doing that, they happened to like drag George Kirk along with them. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right before right before he, he gets iced. And so it's it was going to be a. Yeah, like like No Way Home. Yeah, totally like No oh, Way no. Home. Oh, I, I was going to say like Twice Upon a Time. Oh, the, true. Yeah, right. Yeah. The Mark Gatiss character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it was all going to be about like, you know, the fourth one was all going to be about like Kirk meeting his dad and and, and dealing with all of that business. Um, but also uh, Spock dealing with like, oh, maybe we should let this timeline die and bring back Vulcan. <laughs> Um, and, and all of that. And, uh, and yeah, that's what the fourth movie was going to be in that, uh, original iteration before, you know, I'll die before the Tarantino version. And then before, uh, whatever they were going to do with, um, uh, the WandaVision guy, Mm -hmm. um, before he bailed. Uh, so, so yeah, um, this movie comes out to large fanfare from Paramount, Really tooting the, all the horns they had about this movie, um, really revving the motorcycle engine. Yeah, do you remember <laughs> that the if if I remember correctly, the red carpet premiere I think even happened in the Hollywood Forever Cemetery. Like it was like, it was like a huge, like crazy, like outdoor premiere, um, wow. and they streamed it live, and it was like this whole thing. Um, but yeah. what I remember is Dub Smash was a thing when this movie was coming out. And the cast kept making dub smashes that them like behind the scenes. <laughs> and that was like more effective than the trailers for me. Yeah. Simon Pegg is still upset that they ruined the Beastie Boys reveal in the trailer. I agree. Um, yeah. He, he just is like, that was, that was like the coolest moment in the script. And they just blew it in the trailer. And he was just like, there was no reason for that. You could put any song in the trailer. It didn't need to be the song that we used in the movie. Um, but marketing. Um, so It plays a yeah. lot better now than it did in theaters, I think, yeah. for that reason. Yes, I completely agree. I completely agree. We'll get to it. Um, so, yeah, no, uh, no, no big, um, you know, in terms of like the production of this, it was really fast. Um, uh, uh, 
Doug Jung and 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 Simon Pegg had six months to write this script, uh, and then it was in production two months later. Um, so they finished the script Jesus. two months later. Their cameras are rolling. Um, wow! So this, yeah, so this movie is <laughs> a miracle in a lot of ways. Uh, it's it's definitely a miracle in terms of like this movie's great. It's better than Into Darkness, and Into Darkness had four years of development, and this old, didn't even have three. It had like two because one year was wasted on the Robert Orsi version. Um, and so yeah, uh, crazy how fast this this turned around. Um, and only one, uh, like one one or two weeks of reshoots, like. A, a month out of the movie releasing, um, which is, uh, you know, not bad. So, yeah, there you go. The movie came out and nobody cared. Crickets. Crickets, I tell you. I have a question, and I'd <laughs> yeah. not to put you on the spot. Um, did you happen to come across any potential Jayla's that were up for the role other than Sophia Batella? Not that I saw. No. Interesting. Yeah. No, I mean, you know, she was one of those actors. This is post-Kingsman. They, yeah, yeah. They were, she was just one of those actors that was like everyone was trying to make happen at this time. Um, yeah. You know, she, it was she, like, she, she have, did she have swords for legs or swords for hands? And she King. had she had blades for legs. They were like the blades, blades yeah, they were legs, the bouncy right. blades that she was like running on in Kingsman. Yeah. Um, and then she was the mummy famously. Um, yes. The, in the Tom Cruise movie. Um, also, I just want to bring up role. the fact that, yeah, the fact that like Roberta Orsi has a producer credit on this movie. However, he had nothing to do with it. Um, he was actually producing Now You See Me 2 on set. Uh, at this time, he was not producing Star Trek Beyond. It was a contractual obligation that uh, required him to get a producer credit on this movie uh, because of like it was like some deal of like. If I don't direct this movie, then I, I get to produce it or something like that. And, you know, so the credit happens. But actually, who produced this movie was a woman named Lindsay Weber. Lindsay Weber, who does not have a Wikipedia page. So I had to go to her personal LinkedIn to figure out where the fuck she came from. Uh, oh, my God. But, uh, yeah, so she she started as a uh, uh, she started at Warner Home Video um, and transitioned that into an assistant gig at uh, CAA um, uh, to a, a lit agent. Um, that being uh, a basically a screenplay agent, a screenwriter agent, and uh, she went from being an assistant at CAA to a creative executive at Radar Pictures. Um, moved on to become vice president of development of production at Hillary Swank Productions and then head of film at Bad Robot, where she has been um, for the past 15 years. And Star Trek Beyond was um, only her uh, second film that she produced. She associate produced Morning Glory, which I believe was part of her um, her her uh, deal at the Hillary Swank Productions. I think that was a Hillary Swank joint um like in the way that like reese witherspoon produces and develops shit that she's not she doesn't have anything to do with you know i um, think it's a bad robot movie too because that's kind of why i wanted to see it when it came out really oh that's so interesting um they were like dabbling in like non-genre stuff for a while yeah they made yeah. that movie infinitely polar bear oh that i've never seen right but how do you forget that title now I want to rewatch Morning Glory and see if it has the bad robot logo at the beginning because that would be nuts. Uh, Let's make that our our, our, our franchise potential. But Morning <laughs> yeah, Glory. Morning Glory. Why didn't they keep <laughs> making movies like this? Um, 
<laughs> and then after this. Yeah. Has Harrison Ford ever played a grump again? <laughs> just a few times. Just a few times. Um, but yeah, she produced 10 Cloverfield Lane uh, and wow. and then, you know, did such a great job on that um, that they, they made her the producer of Star Trek Beyond, knowing that like Abrams wouldn't be able to be on set or she was banned from set um, and no one else was th- around to like physically produce the movie. So um, wow. she was there and then she would go on to produce Cloverfield Paradox and Overlord and is now uh, Cass, the executive producer of Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power. Oh, good for her. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there you go. And uh, and yeah, so I just I found I found that interesting because I saw that she produced it because I was like, there's no way Orsi produced this movie. Um, with everything that sure. I know that's going on with him behind the scenes. So who actually produced this? And then I saw her name and I was like, who the hell is this? Uh, and just like had to dig deep and figure out who this person is. But uh, yeah, she just yeah, I mean, started as an assistant, moved up to head of development at a, at a studio. Um, so, And I mean, that's going back to why we started this podcast in the first place is trying to find these kind of just people that are in the machine of these big, huge movies that are like making mm-hmm. it happen. Yeah. Unheralded. Yeah. yeah. Un- unwickied. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, this was, this was a, uh, largely a bad robot joint more than anything else. Um, much more than the previous two films, which were, you know, Paramount movies. Uh, and mm-hmm. while Paramount, like, you know, distributed this movie, obviously had a big part of it in its development. It didn't have as strong a hand on the development process as it did on uh, the previous two films for whatever reason. I'm not really sure. You know how, you know how bad robot it is guys. Hmm. Greg Grunberg is in this. That's true. That's true. Not just a voice this time. You see him. Yeah. He's the whole Grunberg. Yeah. He's there. You get the full Grunberg. (laughs) You get the full (laughs) Grunberg. Um, Yeah. Uh, so I, I do want to point out, um, I mean, obviously this happens at the beginning of the movie as we'll, as we'll go to, but the, um, one of the scenes that was reshot in the reshoots was the scene between, uh, Kirk and Bones, um, at the beginning where, Bo- where Bones is like, oh, it's your birthday. That really sucks. Cause that's the same day that your dad died. And he was that's like, cool, day your cool, paw man. burnt to a crisp. Yeah, <laughs> real, real cool, real cool, Bones. Good job. Um, so they they reshot that mo- that that scene um, and uh, rewrote it to include uh, McCoy finding quote unquote the good stuff in Chekhov's room or in Chekhov's stuff, and then the fact that there's a third glass there that they toast um, that was added in reshoots because Anton Yelchin had passed away. Um, in a mm-hmm. horrific freak accident um, that had nothing to do with the production of this movie, just, you know, a freak accident that that ended his life. And uh, as an ode to him, they rewrote that scene and, and gave him a toast um, in the scene as a way of like being like, we miss you, um, which is uh, really sad. And I miss Anton Yelchin, too. And he is so good in this movie because um, that's the main thing. We talked about this in Into Darkness. In the Darkness is very, very, very hyper focused on Spock, Kirk, and Ahura, um, and that's mm-hmm. it. Everyone else gets short shift in that movie. As a result, um, this is a full blown ensemble movie, um, and I love that about it. Like everybody gets like a storyline, everybody gets like a thing that they do, 
Um, and I think it's I think it's really cool. Uh, I love how balanced this movie is. You know, it's funny you bring that up, and I'm kind of glad we're all three of us here together because watching this. Not to be too self-serving, but it's kind of reminded me of like an episode of Geek by Night. I thought about that constantly while I was watching. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah. No, I 100% th- I thought about that constantly. I was like, yep. this is just like Geek by Night. We could write a Star Trek movie. Um, was the, was we should. I thought about that the whole time. Yeah, we should. Uh, Paramount. You want somebody to figure that out? Call us. <laughs> you listening? <laughs> hey, Lindsay Weber, you listening? <laughs> Hit us up. Yeah, um, we're LinkedIn. Yeah, that's true. I'll, I'm gonna I'm gonna start following her on LinkedIn. <laughs> I I think it's what? interesting though that you said the thing about the ensemble though because I think one of my critiques is I wish that Sulu and Ahura had a little bit more to do in this, but I think everyone else like did like had like a memorable moment and like mm-hmm. not to say that they don't, but I just wish that there was like a little more with them, especially you like. Know- in like in their group like they're just like hanging out you know yeah i had a similar thought because yeah like you know uh ahura and sulu definitely they're not in the fun v in this movie right right yeah they they get and and so i was like well uh, so i was watching this movie and like okay why why did jung and peg put these characters in these combinations and in these positions Mm -hmm. and i was like okay what if scotty was in ahura's place and I'm like that feels weird. The idea of Scotty just being like, "Oh my, oh <laughs> yeah." <laughs> but and if there's one thing we know about Zoe Saldana, if there's one thing Zoe Saldana can do, it's react to horrific things happening yeah. in front of her. Yeah, it's in every Avatar movie. Yeah, but um, I agree. Like, yeah, it'd be yeah. I I definitely agree too. I have a feeling that it's a side effect of the fact that the two of them were becoming large stars, large in demand stars. And they probably didn't have a lot of, uh, wiggle room in their schedule to, to slip yeah. this in. Um, that's, that's my it. theory. And so, you know, they're like, well, who do we get to like communicate with the bad guy? I guess it should be, I guess it should be a Um, my, my, my thought was that like, and obviously this doesn't work because of the, 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 um, uh, the revelation of who of who uh, Idris Elba's character is and, and his background and everything. But my feeling is like, well, I mean, you should put her into a situation where the villain doesn't speak English and she has to, like, figure out how to communicate with him. I think that would have been a really mm-hmm. cool storyline for mm-hmm. Ahura um, and show, like, her strengths as a as a communications officer. Um, but uh, at least Sulu, you know, I mean, like... Sulu gets the revel the the revelation that he's gay, um, and then <laughs> gets him. that good moment of <laughs> yeah, good for him, good for him. Um, <laughs> yeah, and then the and then the um, he gets like his cool moment of like, are you sure you can fly this thing? And he's like, yeah. Are you kidding? Which is pretty cool. That's pretty cool. My my issue, I think, with with Sulu in these in all of these movies is that like, I really like his energy in the first one where he forgets to like. <laughs> let go of the emergency brake or whatever before they like mm. uh, sh- you know um um uh, take the enterprise out for the first time i think that's fun and like a really kind of like silly like oh he was like all flustered and whatever like i was like oh that's a fun energy for him but then in the subsequent movies he's just like badass and that's like they just find mm. moments to let him be a total badass and i'm like that's 
I interesting. I don't know if I am like fully on board. Like, I don't know if that's like the 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 best thing you could have done with Sulu. Like I wish there was like another character trait that he had um in these movies than that. But mm-hmm. I don't know. What do we you get think? a taste of that guy when mm-hmm. uh there's a little moment after he lands, he looks over at Chekhov and he's like, Oh my god, I can't believe I fucking pull that off. Like Yeah. Like, <laughs> and that was fun. Yeah. Um okay, so Star Trek Beyond. Let's uh let's talk yeah. about let's let's break it down, Nick. I'm not gonna lie, guys. I uh so this movie opens with, you know, the Paramount logo and the Skydance logo with Michael Giacchino's swelling score, and it hit me. We did it. Yeah. It it's done. Yeah. Yeah. We watched every Star Trek movie. Yeah, we got to the end of this miniseries. It's pretty crazy. So I was kind of on like a runner's high. Kinda of, it, it reminded me a lot of when I when we did um uh uh, uh New Mutants at the end of yeah. our X-Men era. Yeah. And I was like, wow, we did it. It's over. <laughs> we still had one more to go at that point, but yes. Oh, right. <laughs> uh, yeah. It, it's Phoenix. Wait, yeah, no, it's wait. Phoenix. Oh, that's right. We did it out of order. That's, that's right. Yeah. 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 We did it out of order. Cause that's when it was supposed to come out. Yeah. Sure. 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 Yeah. No complaints. So, <laughs> uh, we get a, uh, a cold open of Kirk ha- in the middle of a diplomatic mission with these, uh, this hyper paranoid monarch of these aliens, and this guy was killing it. And I looked it up. I'm like, who is the voice of this little guy? And it's beloved American character actor Shea Wiggum. Oh, from such hits as Kong Skull Island. Yeah, Agent I, Carter. I would have guessed Andy Circus because it felt very like Gollumy to me, like that. Mm. Yeah. Like that, that uh, whole, his whole like speech about like what they're going to do to them. <laughs> Cass, as an aficionado of weird little guys, what what were your, what was your take on oh this Oh my God. Okay. So, so my big thing with Star Trek is a lot of the alien races look too humanoid and I love mm-hmm. these weird little guys. I love, <laughs> oh my God. I, I'm a, yeah, no, I love it. It was, this was really funny. I I really like this scene, but I will say I'm I do have trouble believing that these little guys have a uh, warp capability. Like it, it very much feels like uh they're breaking the prime directive being here. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> right, like they're a step above the native, the indigenous people from from into darkness. Like these yeah. things Well, they have a they have a hierarchy, they have a little king, he's got a crown, so That's they have true. some kind of society. Yeah. I also think it's um, funny how how close this set is to the um the 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 Klingon hearing set in uh Yeah, in Star Trek 6. That's true. Yeah. Uh listeners, I want it on record I'm not saying that a monarchy is like a sign of like a, an advanced or civilized <laughs> society. <laughs> they had a king, you know. <laughs> oh my god. Um, but um, I, I like how broad and goofy this is, especially coming out of the like soot ash covered seriousness of Into Darkness. Yeah, mm. yeah, and it's a lot kinder than the cold open of the of of Into Darkness that was just like, you're uh, right. Yeah, yeah. Where like immediately we were like, that's kind of weird. Like a lot of this is really weirdly coded but yeah there was a kindness to this and even kirk's frustration 
with the alien. It never felt like he was like a, you know, like a more Michael Bagian protagonist of like, it sucks. I hate the being in Starfleet. He was like doing his best. It was just like a bad day at the office. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So it has been, oh, please. Well, I was going to say, and I love that, that it doesn't, it doesn't uh, overstay its welcome. I think. Yeah. Like, it's not a gigantic action sequence. It's just like a silly beat and then he's back on the Enterprise and that's that, right. you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. And that's kind of, that's good. The good point, Scott, because it's kind of an early indicator of this movie's ambitions and maybe why it struggled in the big summer box office market mm-hmm. of this isn't trying to be some sort of epic trilogy capper ending. This is no. at its best, like a love letter to the episodic nature of Trek, which I'm sure we're going to get into. I that, and that's what I was about to get into, yeah. Because yeah, I didn't mean to get, fire the first. <laughs> yeah, we get the we get the vo of of Kirk, um, you know, talking about their three years into their five year mission, which I feel like I I need to point out is is where the the original series was canceled three years into its five year mission. Um, wow. so this is this is the suggestion being that this is basically taking place like post everything that would have happened in the original series, um, which I think is interesting. Yeah, I think is interesting. Um, But yeah, I love like him just looking at the closet of, of all of his uniforms and just being like, Oh my God, this job, it's the same thing every week and whatever. And this is like, literally it is a, it is a anniversary is a 50th anniversary of star Trek. That is a, is about being tired of Star Trek, being like, maybe we should try, we, we should do something new. And then meeting somebody who is just like, everything Star Trek represents is bullshit. It should be action. It should be violence. It should be all of the things that the Kelvin universe is. And Kirk being like, actually, no, it should be the thing I was doing. It should be diplomacy and boring shit. And that's that's good because it means that the world is a better place. Um hmm. Fucking love it. I love it so much. I love that this movie is, despite the fact of like Peg and Paramount all reiterating this like anti Star Trek thing with this movie, that this movie is secretly Simon Peg being like, yeah, but Star Trek's pretty great, right? Like, it's pretty great. Like, I, I, I love Star Trek. Yeah, like, I get that, like, people can find this shit boring, but, like, it's the best. Like, it's awesome. Um, and I, I love that. I love that about this movie. I think it's great. Yeah, and we're gonna we'll we'll get into that throughout the movie because that yeah. you know reiterate hits that point. Like, I guess like any good script really hits its central point mm-hmm. again and again from different like perspectives and stuff. Um, that being said, I want to talk about something equally important. So there's a montage of you know the crew acclimating to 966 days in deep space, mm-hmm. and you know people are hooking up and people are doing this and that. And I want to talk about fuckboy Chekhov. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a big fan. I love it. Cass, what did you think? Oh my god. I No, like I I I like that a lot. And um at first I wasn't sure if that was supposed to be him in that little montage, but like think like cuz that is him, right? Out stranded out in the hallway with yes. Oh yeah, girl. with the with the Yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> It, uh, it really struck. It really struck home for me. It's like I feel like I've known that guy, where it's like, oh no, he's really funny. He listens to Phoebe Bridgers. Like he's a science nerd, but it's like, no, he's he's a cad, <laughs> just like the rest of them. 
<laughs> well, and I and I also just like that like Kirk isn't anymore. Like they've 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 completely oh, moved yeah. on from the Kelvin universe's concept of Kirk being this womanizing cad. Like they're like, no, that's not how he was in the show, and now we're fully blown in the show period of his of his life, and he wasn't hooking up with like w- women every other episode. Like that was not a thing. Um, and he was a captain. He was legit. He was. You know, he took his job very seriously, and then we see that. And so they're like, well, somebody's got to be a cat, and they give it to fucking Chekhov, and it's the best. It's the best. I love that. Uh, But you're right. Like, you know, coming out of the two movies of him being like a hot, young, like, shit kicker, he's like, he's a full adult in this. Yes. And Mm -hmm. where's the... I mean, you know, he passes this really bittersweet milestone that, that people can pass where they... Uh, are now older than their parent got to be. Right. And mm-hmm. it's this like, this is a movie about middle age, which is, is interesting. Yeah. It's, um, I it's love also, that scene. It, with, it is please. also the first movie in this, in the Kelvin universe where Kirk gets to be the captain. The whole movie doesn't, doesn't get, doesn't get it taken away once. Like just Mar- the captain never from gets getting mar- to end. <laughs> never gets marooned. Nope. Or, discharged yeah well the whole the whole the whole squad gets gets marooned but he doesn't get marooned by himself (laughs) (laughs) so yeah we get we talked about a little bit but we get that really great scene where uh bones is celebrating kirk's birthday and kind of commiserating about stuff i i'm in love with that whole scene and it really plays on the strength that this franchise has which is like the second nature camaraderie that this cast has at this point Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like even just them enjoying the whiskey is such like a lovely little like oh yeah these characters feel like they've been around each other for three years yeah and going back to the theme I just I love that it's Kirk's birthday when it's Star Trek's birthday like I just I love that I think that's so clever such a clever little writing thing oh yeah yeah and uh, they are in the midst they get a, a brief respite respite I don't know. Respite. From their respite, thank you. From the three-year <laughs> voyage at at Yorktown, yeah, a Federation starbase, and maybe I think one of my favorite things about the Kelvin universe, this movie, and I think the physical manifestation of Gene Roddenberry's vision, in a way. I remember people hating this. Uh, when the movie really? came out Why? and just being like, I, I think they, I think they just thought like, it was just like weird for the sake of it. And like, like they were, because it was also, it was also post Tomorrowland, which people like, didn't like the aesthetic of that either. Um, utopian. And, uh, what's that? Utopian. Yeah. That sort of utopian like aesthetic. Um, I just remember people really not liking it. I love that. As a space station, it's a drive-through. Like, yeah, we built this space station for starships to show up and like have some leave in the middle of their five-year mission, and so like we, it's designed to be a drive-through. Like you, you drive your starship in it, and then you shoot back out of it. And I love that. <laughs> and it's and it's all like kind of open air, and and yeah, like this public just, transport. Oh man, I just I love this. I think it's really cool. So Star Trek. So Star Trek. 
this uh, this whole movie really feels like a rebuke of Into Darkness was so interested in getting Starfleet dirty, yeah, and like dragging it down into like the post nine eleven muck of American pop culture at that time. I mean, yeah. it was twenty thirteen, but and this is like, well, no, we're actually we're going to do the inverse of that now, which is we're in full utopia post military society, and we're not going to compromise that. We're going to show you why this system works. And right. Yorktown mm-hmm. is just like it's running like a Swiss watch. No one's getting mugged, right? And it's and it's all to show you, like what we have to lose by a villain yes. like Idris Elba, which is not what was happening in Into Darkness, which was part of the problem. There was no, there there was nothing to balance all of the all of the hate and 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 anger and and violence that was mm-hmm. being brought by the villains. Um, there was nothing to balance. We we couldn't really tell what was at stake because the only thing that was ex- at stake were the characters' lives, which none of us were really taking particularly seriously in that movie because it's like the second movie. You're not going to kill these people. So, yeah, um, I think I think showing what we have to lose is is a much more interesting way to like tell the story of a of a care of a villain that is like an anti Star Trek villain. You know, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. It's an early example of the the good screenwriting, I think, like you said, of like, I like this place. It would be really bad if something bad were to happen to it later in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um Cass, I'm curious because you were you were sort of like live posting in our in our like chat group on the yeah, Discord. I was trying not to because I knew we were gonna I knew we were gonna talk about it, so I was trying not to, but like the the thing that I am so impressed by, I think, while watching it is like they would set something up and then like it would be paid off. Like every single thing yeah. that they set up, even the fucking, even the whiskey, like, cause like, yeah. that's why I was surprised you said that was like a rewrite because like at the very end, Chekhov's talking about like, did you know scotch was invented by a little old Russian lady? Like that was like, <laughs> um, so yeah. the, yeah, no, I'm, I'm really impressed with how, um, like there's not a lot of waste in this script like plot wise mm-hmm. um and it was a lot of fun watching it where they would be like we have a problem and then i'm gonna be like oh they they're gonna use the thing that they set up like 20 minutes ago and then like the next scene is them using the thing they set up 20 minutes ago so yeah yeah i don't know it's so good <laughs> <laughs> yeah um so something we've been tracking throughout this trilogy of kelvin films is the relationship between spock and ahura and it comes to a head as the crew leaves for Yorktown. It's heavily implied that they have finally broken up. And Spock is letting Uhura keep Winona Ryder's necklace. Because it is not in the Vulcan custom to exchange that which has been given as a gift. Cass, what what are your thoughts on this relationship in general? I honestly, like, because it's been so long since I had seen uh, Into Darkness. Like, I hadn't. I haven't watched that since theaters. So I was like, wait, did they, did they break up at the end of that movie? Um, mm-hmm. Like, does, does it happen off screen in this one? Mm-hmm. Like it's kind of, okay. Yeah. It happened over um, the course of like the three year mission, the three year portion yeah, of the yeah, mission yeah. or whatever. Someone being stuck in a spaceship together for three years didn't help their relationship. That's, yeah. I mean, that's fair. Yeah. If they're on and again, off again, and they're stuck for five years, that's, that's, that's a recipe for disaster. Um, Sexy it's disaster. fine. It's not my, <laughs> favorite thing about these like 
eh, it, it, it exists, I guess. <laughs> yeah. What do you think if they had tried to stick to the OG movies and gone for a Horoscotti again? Scott. I, I, I just, I, 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 it was weird I think, too. I think at that point you have to go younger with Scotty. I don't, I don't think you can do Simon Pegg. I think at that point, cause I just, that doesn't make any sense in my brain whatsoever. Like <laughs> Zoe Saldana and Simon Pegg. I don't know. Um, so I think James you'd have McAvoy. to, I think you'd have to go in a different direction there, but, uh, but yeah, um, I don't know. It's uh, uh, it, it's never you know it's never like fully a, a subplot them. It's kind of in the background, mm-hmm. but right. it is always it's a good runner of just reminding you that these characters have dynamic lives that are changing in the years between these movies coming out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Spock is quickly met with uh, representatives of New Vulcan who share with him the unfortunate news that Ambassador Spock has passed away. Mm-hmm. And I had a question, Scott. So you yes. see his epitaph. Yes. And they're just numbers to me. <laughs> and I didn't right. pause. But is his death year before his birth? No, that doesn't make any sense. I guess like when it showed like the year that he bore the year that he was born and the year that he died, I was like, oh, I wonder if that seems weird, the math, because it's it's like he's really only lived like a like does it seem like right. he's lived shorter amount of time than he actually Yeah, it would did? be it would be shorter amount of time because he went back in time. Okay. Yeah. Um I assume so. I don't know how to read star dates. Uh <laughs> I'm sure someone does. Um I'm sure lots of people do. <laughs> lots of Trekkies do. Uh one thing though that happens right before that is um we, we get the cameo of um Doug Jung, the the co-writer of this movie, uh as Ben, uh the the husband of uh of Sulu and uh we 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 sort of uh, get his uh, his little family which Does that George, make this a which, self insert um i don't know but <laughs> okay. he's he's doing it i don't know Respect. um i know that george Takei hates this and oh, uh really? talks about it, yeah talks about it all the time they did it as like a as like a like a nudge to George Takei because they're just like right you're gay and we made your character he's like don't gay. nudge me and he was like he was like i didn't play him gay He's not gay. And he was like really distraught over this and found it um, incredibly, incredibly uh, disrespectful. And um, um, yeah, he's he's not into it because he was like, no, if I if I had played, I'm gay, but Sulu is not gay. I never played him gay. He wasn't gay. Um, And he was just like very uh, adamant about this. Um, But yeah, it's like it's that thing that we talk about. Um, I, I think we talked about it on this show, we, right? With, with we the, did. With, with, yeah, with, with generational with divide. Again, of, yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Of, like, you know, oh, no, no. Uh, going back to, like, yeah, our 09 episode, uh, George Takei was asked, hey, is it cool if we get, because they cast a Japanese actor to play Sulu originally. He was in Heroes. And NBC was like, no, you already have Sylar. You can't take Heroes' best friend. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and so they're like, oh, well, we have John Cho, but he's Korean. And it was J.J. Abrams was like, I don't want to. That feels weird. George Takei, what are you? And he's like, hey, man, Sulu represents all Asians. And that was and, and you know, we kind of were like, oh, well, maybe it is like a generational thing. Yeah. Because uh, how do you feel about that, Cass? Yeah. Um, like because there was controversy where people were like, you can't just swap mm-hmm. Asian, like East Asian actors mm-hmm. for like. A, it was uh, the first time I had yeah. ever. It's actually the first time I'd ever heard that criticism like 
was was like at that time like i just never heard anything like oh yeah i guess that is weird like it had just like i'd never heard that kind of criticism before yeah. in 2009 uh, but i do remember yeah. that being heavily criticized or like probably 2008 because i think it was during the production that the criticism i think it began I, yeah i think it probably is a generational thing and like um like because george takei is japanese american so like i don't know like the 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 east asian like uh diaspora like there's a like there's like a lot of of different like and often like um conflicting um like opinions about this because like like yeah it's like really disrespectful to be like yo this character is japanese but we're like having a korean actor play him but like it's but if you have like the um the blessing of like the person who like originated the role like what are you gonna do about it you know right so right. That's, yeah. that's 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 weird that he didn't like the the gay thing though like that must be mm -hmm. well again yeah. i i think it's the i think it's the same generational thing because like older older gay men are like they they I, I see this a lot where they kind of roll their eyes at like young queer people because they're just like, God, you guys with all the different labels and the blah, 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 blah. you know, like they get they yeah, get like yeah. frustrated about it. They're like, how about we focus on the stuff that matters instead of all this infighting, um, which I, yeah. I, I also I understand that perspective. But I also understand that, like, you guys are like three generations out of date, guys. Like, you know, yeah, that's yeah. what's happening here. Not. Yeah. So it's it's just. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know. It is kind of these two, an interesting point of two ideologies sort of rubbing against each other because then also there's like, it's important to us to make Sulu gay in this one scene with no dialogue <laughs> with like, yeah, like happens to, which is like, that's all over. I mean, that's in Rise of Skywalker. I mean, you know, there's jokes mm -hmm. about that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's also, uh, you know what it reminds me a lot of is like the 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 um feminist divide between generations of like there's like you know like all of the different like generations of feminism and how like there's like w one version of feminism like going back to like uh Susan B Anthony right and then like they're mad at the next generation cuz the next generation is yep. like you're not doing enough and then the next generation is like you're not doing enough and it's just like mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah and it just it just rolls downhill generation after generation and i think that's what's going on not to get too off topic but you know what i think about sometimes guys if the three of us if we stay alive long enough we're going to get to see gen z get old wow that's that's gonna be delicious. That's wild, <laughs> just delicious. <laughs> it's certainly wild. Oh my gosh. Uh, it's like my dad watching. My, oh, sorry. Um. <laughs> so we meet Greg Grunberg, and then shortly after arriving at Yorktown, the ship is met, or Yorktown is met with a uh, a distress pod, like a ship. Is that where is that where that lady was in? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah. She is the uh, lone survivor of a ship that has been marooned on a planet. Not marooned, but, you know, crash landed on a planet in a, in a nebula in uncharted space. She's like, is there a big enterprise shaped ship that could come and help me and my friends? <laughs> <laughs> I, I love this character just for like the simple fact of like, man, she really she really give, gives them th these guys what for like like she starts off as like a as a trap 
Uh, and then she's like, yeah, but I'm innocent. Like, they made me do it. And then it's like, no, actually, I'm an asshole. Ha <laughs> ha, fuck you guys. Like, I just, I, I love her. Like, she's awesome. And then she gets pancaked by a starship. Like, it's the best. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I have questions about her, but I don't need answers. Does that make sense? <laughs> sure. Sure. <laughs> like, she seems to be some kind of, like, zealot for crawl. But like she might, it's also like she could very well be the only zealot. It's like just her. Yeah, like, I, was I she, love Kroll, Actually, is she not one of the surviving crew members? Like, did she not? She looks pretty different, right? Am I remembering her 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 visage correctly? Yeah, I guess. Though it is, this is a, a general problem I think with this particular movie is whoever was doing the makeup effects, which I don't have that credit handy, but um, whoever was designing them, I think. There's a little sameness to them because there's her, yes, and then there's Idris Elba's people, and then there's like there's like a Sil, there's like the crab the crabhead lady, yeah, the crabhead lady, and they all kind of yeah. look very similar. And and mm-hmm. Bethany was very confused while we were watching this. They were like, "Well, she's obviously bad. She's the same species as Idris Elba." And I, I was like, "I don't think she is." She's like, "They look the same," and then they're next to each other, and she's like, "Oh, I guess not." Yeah. So yeah, it's it's not clear. It's not clear. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Kirk has a uh, a dialogue with another one of my favorite character actors, uh, Iranian actress Sheree Angdashlu from like X-Men The Last Stand. She's just like one of those actors that like pops up a lot. And <laughs> she plays Commodore Paris. And she is like hints that Kirk is like up for uh, a vice admiral promotion. And even just hearing Admiral Kirk again was like, oh, wow, we're really we're finally here. Like caught up with this. Yeah. Yeah. The idea of him becoming Admiral Admiral so young is uh very weird. Yeah, like what has he done at this point? I, I don't you know? know. He spent three years on a five year mission. He's not even done with the mission that he did he, he agreed to take on. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. And so uh, Kirk is like, yeah, like, we'll do it. I will. But this is going to be I think this is going to be my last go of it. I'm kind of bored. I'm actually really bored. Give it a Spock. He's the best guy I know. I'm going to I'm going to pass the pass the buck. And we get this really lovely scene with Kirk and Spock where Spock is struggling with his own uh, internal stuff, as we learn later on. And we get a scene with them both in the elevator where Kirk's like, hey, like we make a good team. Right, man. And Spock's like, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I think we do. <laughs> it's just yeah. uh yeah, it's just it's, it's a lovely moment. Yeah. No, it is. It is really good. Quickly after that, the ship is attacked by uh, a really intimidating swarm of nanotech drones, which was the style at the time. A lot of movies are doing these these little these little guys. Yeah. I I do like the way they were used in this a lot more than, than the other uh, movies that do this sort of thing. Um, Like it, it felt by, by making them, by seeing them like the individual things, like flying through the enterprise Mm -hmm. and just wrecking house. Like it was, I don't know. It, it, it like crystallized like what it, what they were more than just constantly only seeing them from far away, you know? Sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Not, uh, gentlemen, the disrespect <laughs> that the Enterprise takes. Yeah. 
<laughs> in this ass whooping. Yeah. It's 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 so it's so immediately screwed. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like this like minute like second two, it's like the entire bottom half is just gone. Yeah. Brutal. <laughs> I, I I love when they try to warp away and they can't and it's just because like they just <laughs> the sliced off the warp engines. <laughs> It's brutal, brutal, and now those things are just floating through space forever. No, presumably. Yeah, no, the, the sexy background actors of the Enterprise get absolutely wrecked in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> um. So they get boarded. Very Pirates of the Caribbean cast. Mm-hmm. What did you think of the? I thought they were a little. I thought Crawl's men were a little too like bungee Halo. For my taste, what 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 did you think? Are they supposed to be all like individual aliens that he's just like recruited, or are they like are they like uh um uh like mechanical? I don't think we ever even see one take off its helmet. No, just just Elba. Okay, because um, there's yeah, because there's Elba and know. then. There's Manus, who it turns out right. is played by Joe Talsum from The Raid, but he kind of looks oh. like Crawl, right? They kind of look like the same species, right? Yeah, they're, I think they're he's one of the three crew members that were left that he says in his final oh. video. That's right, he does say that. Yeah, and you think that one of the 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 third might be, um, y- yeah, what's her name? Maybe I don't know. I'm not sure. Okay, so. Yeah, no, it's brutal. You know, they have to abandon ship. A lot of, lot of, lot of people get sucked into space, and the ones that are able to get into the escape pods, the escape pods are rounded up, and the crew is collected. But luckily, the <laughs> most of the main cast are able to get away and crash land on this planet. Bones lands with Spock. Scotty lands by himself, and Kirk and Chekhov manage to escape together. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, and I will say, despite how cool the actual destruction of the Enterprise is, I the crash landing of the saucer section is disappointing because it's literally the same as Star Trek Generations. Like, exactly the same. <laughs> exactly the same. And I'm like, you know what? Simon Pegg had a point. This is, you didn't even do anything different with this part. You separated the saucer. And then it crash landed in a field of trees. It's exactly the same. Exactly what happened in Star Trek Generations. I don't know. Anyway. No, no, you're right. You know, it doesn't hold a candle to that big, awesome miniature smashing into the dirt. Yeah. And and Data <laughs> screaming, shit. Yeah. <laughs> did, did either of you find it hard to follow uh, the action in that big set piece where the Enterprise is being destroyed because that's like I don't know it was it was difficult for me to kind of follow the geography I guess of the ship when everything was falling apart because like I didn't have a concrete like point of of reference so the mm. all, like all of the action was kind of jumbled I guess it was difficult for Cass, me to follow thank you Thank okay. you for bringing that up, because okay, this cool. is arguably my <laughs> arguably my biggest criticism of the movie. So 
if you're a dueling genre listener, you might even know this by now, but I'm I'm a, I'm a Fast and Furious guy. I love Justin Lin. I think he's a really talented director. I think he should work more. But coming into the, even the first time I watched this movie back in 16, I was kind of sitting down as a Justin Lin fan, almost more than a, mm-hmm. a Simon Pegg fan. And I was like, oh, he's going to this is going to be so cool. And I was really disappointed by most of the action in this. I I don't think it matches the kinetic, you know, fun of and, and again, this is not an action movie. I don't want this to be an action movie, mm-hmm. but. I was surprised, and Stephen watching it this morning, at how underwhelmed I was, and kind of like, yeah, like where is where is this all happening in accordance to one another? What is the arc? Even the Abrams movies, Into Darkness, I thought did a better job of kind of okay. I kind of pictured the ship in my head. Mm. I, I, uh, I agree with that with a lowercase a. I think that um, I think that this section is definitely a little confusing um especially with like it just I, I don't know i guess maybe i'm just thinking of it in terms of like <clears throat> they're either on the bridge or they're somewhere on the ship and like whatever <laughs> um, yeah, and that's yeah. kind of sure. that's kind of how how i'm watching it like um sure. but but uh i will say that while i agree with the actual destruction of the ship i don't think it's that great i also think that justin lin is best with practical action sequences and none of this was practical and i think that he was stretched to his limits in terms of that and also he didn't have nearly as much development time as he did for all of the fast and furious movies um where he was like in meetings with the writers being like these are the sequences action sequences i want to do this is how i'm designing them you go write them and i'll continue like designing the action sequence you know Mm -hmm. so -hmm. it's different but i will say we're not there yet, but the motorcycle sequence with all the doubles and the transporting and all that fucking rules like that rocks my shit. <laughs> That's like and it's very Justin Lin because it literally ends with two people leaping toward each other and touching hands, which is like the most Fast and Furious Justin Lin shit ever. So, yeah, I love I love that. That sequence is like the best action sequence in the whole movie, I think. For sure. Yeah. Uh, another cool moment that I liked, and it's really super minor, but when Scotty lands and the camera stays on his pod and he's shooting up and the camera follows him and you see that the pod is on the cliff and then he jumps out of it. And I don't know how they pulled that off, but it looked really cool. It seemed like a lot of like green screen stuff where he was probably like sure. an inch. He was probably an inch off the ground, like hanging on like two green screen yeah. like stuff, yeah. you know? Mm. Um, but I But I will say... I don't like that that scene literally ends with him hanging off of a cliff. And then the next time that we see him, everything's fine. And he's back and he's just wandering through the woods. And I'm like, how? How did he get back up? Like, he was so far (laughs) down off that straight cliff. (laughs) Like, how did he climb back up with no help? I don't know. I was just surprised by that. Surprisingly, a lot of upper body strength. Yeah, apparently. But he couldn't, I, he couldn't I, show it on camera because it's not real. <laughs> yeah. The the idea of Simon Pegg being like, I don't want to film this, so I'm not going to include it in the script is really funny to me. That's um, true. That is true. I do like that. <laughs> but I, I, I'll allow it because they have to set up the cliff that they're going to careen the Enterprise off or the, 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 the Franklin off of later. So like, right. I don't know. Uh, Scott already alluded to uh, what's her name's betrayal. But it's like uh, they're in the woods with Kirk and Chekhov and 
she's like, oh, I was protecting my crew, like your crew. And Kirk's like, damn it. He, she said the C word. <laughs> <laughs> Love crews. Love a crew. <laughs> damn it. Uh, we get our introduction to Crawl with uh, Ahura. They have their first confrontation where he says Federation is an act of war. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm angered by its very, you know, I'm going to say good alien trying to speak English acting from yeah. Idris Elba. Yeah. Uh, a yeah. little weird in retrospect. It's like, did he forget? In, in general, especially when you look at the movies that they put him into, um, I think he is by Hollywood. I think he is a very underrated actor. I don't, I think everybody, I think we all know how good he is, but I think Hollywood underestimates how good of an actor he is. Um, Cause yeah, he's really fucking good. Cass, have you watched any Luther? No, I haven't. I've seen like an episode. It's not, I'm not a big procedural guy, but everyone says that he really wrecks in those. He does. It's really good. Nice. Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I, I'm being completely unironic when I say, and this is kind of a bummer. The best like Hollywood role he's had in a long time is that lion movie where he's like, where he punches that lion. Right. Because right. he's like a fully realized dude. He's like a dad, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah. I don't, um, I, I don't know that he does super well under like all the makeup. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, uh, I think the, the, the prosthetic or whatever he's wearing, like kind of does him a disservice, um, for most mm. of this. Cause like when, when, um, when it's like the climax of the movie and, and they're in Yorktown and like Kirk is kind of facing him. Like, I think that's like the most compelling crawl stuff. But um, when he's just kind of um, being like menacing and, and I, I, I don't know, I wasn't really into it, Wait, which was kind of surprising because I love Idris Elba. Yeah. I remember that being a criticism of the movie at the time too. Like when, People were like hyped that Idris Elba was going to be in this movie, and then when they saw yeah. him in the trailer, people were like wah, real wah, mad. Wah. They were like, "Oh, cool! So you brought in a black guy and you just like put him under a bunch of makeup? Awesome! Great job, everybody! Pat pat yourselves mm-hmm. on the back." Um, I mean, this was the year after we had like Lupita Nyong'o as Mas Kanata. right? Right. So this was like, yeah, this was this, this criticism was on the tip of everybody's tongue at the time. And, you know, even going into Star Trek Into Darkness, one of the few highlights of that movie is when you just get to look at Benedict Cumberbatch's face for a minute. Yeah. As he cries his ice-cold icicle tears. Yeah. For his crew. (laughs) Yeah. And he's so emotive. And, like, Nero, I still kind of... My hot take is that Nero is still my favorite Kelvin villain. And Mm. he's not that much more fleshed out. He's actually less fleshed out than Idris Elba's character. But we get that kind of just swag weirdness of Eric Bana and his makeup is more minimal. Yeah. Yeah. But then but then if his makeup was minimal, it would take away from like the reveal of like who he truly is. And I think that's what they were trying to avoid um, with the with the, you know, crazy amount of makeup. Um, Mm. But I don't know if you said that, you know. Yeah, because something that Scott said last week and Cass, you said earlier this episode is like kind of the Star Trek style is having kind of more humanoid aliens. Right. So I don't know if I would have been thinking, I wonder if this guy's Starfleet, if it was just like like a more Romulan look. I don't know. Right. Yeah. I don't know. I don't. Yeah. I just don't know if we even need the reveal, though, like at all. Like, I don't know. Mm. 
what that really does for the movie. Um, yeah. But, like, as Sorry, a reveal, I really, yeah. I really like the video they find of just hyped human Idris Elba, like, Whoa, Frontier! We're going to do it! Live! And they're like, oh, they were all so... <laughs> yeah, so pumped. <laughs> they all thought they were in a, a, a Jim Cameron movie. Right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Who? Yeah. Big hoorah energy. Yeah. Spone, spones. Bones and Spock. Is that there? Would that be their, their ship name? Spones? Maybe. Probably. <laughs> Bach. Yeah. I mean, they'd probably so, use God. like McCoy more so. Like, like Spock. Spacoy. Spacoy. Yeah. Spacoy. So they crash land in like a, like a little, like a dry, like riverbed. And it still surprised me. This is like my second or third time watching this movie. When Spock crawls out of that pod with that big, huge shard of metal sticking out of him. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like that we get Kirk and Bones together without, I'm, I'm sorry, Bones and Spock together without Kirk for a lot of this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah, because uh, this is the movie where McCoy, like, like, returns to the like the forefront because like you know the movie the last the last shot of the movie uh with the cast is like the four of them it's like the three of them all together and then ahura steps up and then the rest of the crew steps up and i'm like oh yeah okay there we go that's that's better (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah i because i think i think mccoy's energy is important for like the 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 alchemy of this of this ensemble i think it's i think it's Mm -hmm. he's an important part of it and he was sorely sorely missed and into darkness no definitely Cass, what did you think of uh bones actually getting to be a doctor for a minute and operating on spock and doing the old like what's your favorite color (laughs) i um i think the chemistry between these two actors is really good um I think like I was also surprised at like oh are we gonna are we gonna kill Spock because like I I don't remember watching a trailer for this because it was like eight years ago or whatever um yeah. so um yeah no and I I love that we also get the I'm not a doctor I'm a or like I'm not a like you know damn it Jim I'm a doctor not a whatever and then he gets like beamed up later um mm-hmm. so just letting these characters do like their job I think was um really refreshing to see if like which is really silly because i don't know in a darkness like no one got to do their job and so like seeing Mm -hmm. people like trying to do their job even though they're stranded on this planet was like really cool yeah yeah it just seems like more i don't know like like we can come back to this word a lot but trekkie in a way that into darkness wasn't like concerned with the fact that oh yeah bones is a doctor like scotty's an engineer Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm That's why I am confused at, like, the whole, like, anti-Trek thing. Because, like, this is one of the most Star Trek movies I've ever seen. Like, it makes Mm -hmm. me want to go watch more Star Trek. So Mm -hmm. I don't understand (laughs) why it's... Unless, like, they, they, like, kill the ship. But they, like... Like we talked about before, like, they kill the ship in, like, three other movies. So I don't don't understand. It's because... it's, It's truly because... In terms of, like... Trek fans or, you know, Trekkies, their complaints are, is that they ride motorcycles and Justin Lin directed it. And he, he directs those stupid Fast and Furious movies. That's it. 
like they're not even giving the movie a a chance because like fundamentally it has something that they don't like about it. Like that, like the fast, they got the fast and furious guy to direct a star Trek movie. And that sucks in their opinion. Kirk rides a motorcycle in star Trek 2009. Like that's a callback to that movie. Yeah. Like, and, and the beastie boys thing too. Right. Like, I don't know. I don't understand. Yeah. I feel yeah. like this movie is prime for a revival. A hundred percent. Now that mm-hmm. now the Trek is much more like thriving than it was in twenty sixteen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I just you know, there was a there was a, a interview with Jonathan Frakes who was like being interviewed about being in um Picard season three and he was like he was like, Yeah man, uh I think Star Trek movies are done. I don't think they're going to make any more. I mean, look, they couldn't even Tarantino couldn't even make a Star Trek movie. Like, and if he can't, like, what hope does anybody else have? So he's just like, I think the movies are done. I think it's just going to be TV from now on. Um, and and I was like viscerally bummed out by by that. I was like, oh, man, just like the idea that, like, we're never going to get another Star Trek movie, like, bothers me for some reason. Um, what I mean, a- it's such a small percentage of Star Trek as a whole. The movies but like right it's a it's an important part of it i don't know what what i'll say about that frakes story or quote is a i don't know how but I, I don't know if i follow the logic of well if a quentin tarantino star trek movie can't get made wh- what hope is there that, that prince money right you know right i don't know about that right but <laughs> but also like i get and i think it's just like uh to us as fans we're like it looks so simple you know and i think we've kind of seen throughout this series of people kind of uh, overcomplicating it for themselves of like, well, we have to come up with a way we have to make it really expensive or we have to add this kind of spectacle to it. Right. That works or doesn't. And when they do try and do something like Star Trek Insurrection, which is like an hour and a half long Star Trek episode. Right. That can sometimes backfire. Right. And so I don't know. I was thinking about that a lot of like, is it, would it be so hard to do like a smaller budget one, you know, but with this That's cast, re- absolutely. But <laughs> but 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 if you started over, if you if you like did you know uh, the 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 oh nine equivalent of like a next gen movie, I think you know maybe maybe you could do something like that and start over from there. Sure, I don't know. Sexy nineteen year old Picard stepping out of the shower, holding like a thing of whiskey. <laughs> yeah. Well, he'd be he'd be holding Earl Grey tea hot. What's, yeah. <laughs> What's up, bitches? He's already bald at 19. He's just like... Hell yeah. <laughs> That's Jean-Luc Picard. He's the hottest guy in school. Yeah. Scotty crash lands and is met with some rough-looking aliens that were also... Uh, that also crash-landed on the planet. And she is rescued by my favorite character in any of these movies, Jayla. Yeah. I believe Jayla is what the kids are calling a, a comfort character for me. Yeah. I just like her vibe. I do too. I love Jayla. I love that she calls her ship her house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She has traps. Yeah. I love I love Jayla. I like I like her whole her whole thing. I like that she calls music uh beats and screaming, like you know, <laughs> or beats and yelling. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever it is. Yeah. I I love that. I just I think she's cool. I and you know what? Um you know that that actress um i think this is the best role she's ever had certainly uh 
Sophia Butella. Um, this is the best role that she's ever had. And it's a bummer that we didn't get another one because like, who knows if she would even be in the next one, you know? Um, cause she's mm-hmm. going to Starfleet. Like she's not part of their crew. So she's sort of like the Carol Marcus of this movie. Yeah. Which speaking of which that was a criticism of the movie. They're like, what happened to Carol Marcus? Why isn't she in this? And Simon Peck was like, I don't know. She was on the ship somewhere. <laughs> he, was, he was just like, well, I, I like, he was like, he was like, I didn't have anything to like do like to, to have her do. So like, I just didn't have her in the move in the movie. Like, you know, she's like, yeah, she was there. She's still in the crew. She's just, you know, doing something so, somewhere else. I don't know. So he went out of his way to be like, no, she's dead. She was on the ship. I just didn't cut to her. <laughs> she got sucked into space. <laughs> we brought Alice Eve in uh, to do a scan of her face so we could p- make sure that it was on one of the CGI. <laughs> she's in there. <laughs> humans that got sucked into space. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, Scotty and Jayla strike a bargain that uh, Scotty will help Jayla fix something for her and Jayla will help Scotty find his crew. We'll be back on, uh, I guess wherever crawls base is that we have the, the surviving crew of the enterprise trying to find a way to escape. We get the return of deep Roy's character. And I believe he is named for the first time or calls him Keenzer. Keenzer. Good work. Oh. Keenzer. She says, <laughs> Oh, he's, he's named in the first one. Oh, he is? Is it Keenzer? I think so. Yeah. Okay. I just think, because Scotty calls him Wee Man all the time. Right. Yeah. The uh, oh, the little right. engineering alien, right? Another weird little yeah, guy. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. You, know, you know what it kind of reminded me of? It reminds me in the Fast and Furious movies where there's a moment where Vin Diesel's like, good job, Roman. And I shivered because I realized he had never said Tyrese's name before in any of these movies. Yeah. Wasn't there wasn't there like a weird situation too where like he exchanged dialogue with a character that he's never exchanged dialogue before despite them being like part of the ensemble for like four movies or something like that? Yeah, I think it was like Roman or Ludacris where he's like, I don't know, Roman, what do you think we should do? And I was like, You don't talk to him. You <laughs> You stand in front of him. Roman talks to Ludacris. Yeah. And Ludacris relays information to you. You don't talk to, to Tyrese. Yeah. Now what's, what's Ludacris' that? job, if not that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> Jayla, act two of this, it's kind of back and forth, to be honest, mm-hmm. of like mm-hmm. checking in with like all the different groups. Mm-hmm. But um, so they try to escape. They send out, they think, Ahura and Sulu think they're sending out a distress signal, but they get captured and brought into Crawl's like chambers. Mm-hmm. And he's... Uh, then back on the Enterprise, Kirk and Chekhov are going to. There, why do they go back to the Enterprise? Because with, they want to. Uh, they want to see how many of the crew are still out there alive, okay. um, and they have to go to the Enterprise because it's it has a more powerful like satellite something. I don't know. Okay. Yeah. Because they're trying her, to find them, right? Yeah. So. Yes. Yeah. We get her full heel turn and they get chased. And we get a pretty cool set piece of Kirk and Chekhov sliding down the saucer of the Enterprise like vertically. Yeah, it's really cool. It's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a 
this this made the repetitive nature of the crash more worth it. Because at least I'll, we got I'll this out of it. We didn't get this out of the out of generations. <laughs> Jordy wasn't slight. Jordy and Riker Whoa! weren't sliding yeah. down the Enterprise D. I can tell you that. Oh my god, that'd be nuts! <laughs> it's uh, it's the sliding and the shooting. That's just inherently cinematic. Anytime it happens, Crawl uh, demonstrates his uh, ferocity and evil in front of. Ahura and Sulu by sucking the energy out of two Enterprise crew members. And um, I think this is like low key, weirdly, the most violent one. I think this might even be more violent than Into Darkness in a way. Hmm. Just like watching them back to back. I'm like, I think I remember Into Dark. It's darker more than violent, if that makes sense. Yeah. It's meaner. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think this one's quite as mean, but yeah, uh, is it, it is it a her? It's a Hura's reaction, right? It's a Hura's the yeah. one that watches it happen, and she's like, "Jesus, horrifying." I think, so. <laughs> I think it stands out more in this one because the tone is so different than Into Gar- Darkness. Yeah, that's true. Like, mm-hmm. like, like you said, it's like a kinder movie. So, like every every time something terrible happens, it's like, "Oh God!" Right. <laughs> that's yeah. true. That is true. And we counter that with a really tender scene between Bones and Spock as Spock's bleeding out. He's, his, his wound is strenuously healed. And he shares with Bones that Ambassador Spock has passed away. And in, that, in, the, likely, in, the, in the wake of that event, he's thinking about leaving Starfleet and refocusing his efforts on New Vulcan. And it's, it's kind of a... It's, I just really wish Into Darkness hadn't completely not dealt with this at all for a mm. movie because it's so rich. The idea of like kind of going back to like identity. You know, we were talking about like race and stuff earlier in, in the real world with with Sulu and George Takei, but just kind of like a young a young man kind of wrestling with where do where what do I owe to my people versus what do I owe to myself? Like that's that's really interesting. Right. So after that scene. We get the uh, the beats and shouting of uh, Kirk and Jayla, or not Kirk, uh, Scotty and Jayla on the the Franklin, kind of futzing around. They get the uh, transporter working, and they're able to. This is a a big moment in the trailer where they're able to beam up Scotty, <laughs> Spock, and Bones, but they beam up Spock first. So Bones thinks he's going to mm-hmm. die alone for if, briefly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I That's a really good joke. I wish it hadn't been used in the trailer. Mm. So now that the crew is reunited, we're uh, so like, yeah, um, Kirk, Chekhov, <laughs> Spock and Bones and Jayla are now all on the Franklin at this point, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah. um, uh, uh, Chekhov and and Kirk set off one of her traps, and that's where they find them. Yeah, and then they locate Spock and Bones after that, right? Yes. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. This is just what our Geek by Night writing meetings sound like. Yeah, that's true. Um, the who's, I, we, wait, who's with? No, that person's with that person, right? You know, we talked about this with the '09 movie about how there's nothing as slapstick in the rest of the Kelvin movies more than like Kirk hands getting swollen and like num tongue, like that yeah. whole that whole thing. <laughs> um, you know, nothing's as slapstick as that, and this isn't. But them in stuck in her trap is like pretty that energy it's 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 there it's in the ballpark yeah. which i was i liked because there was none of that in into darkness at all so mm-hmm. yeah. very true same same flavor right uh we also get a cool little moment somewhere in there where uh kirk is about to get into the captaincy but jayla gets there first mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's like no this is this is my ship dude this is my house <laughs> i love that she calls it her house it's great Make my house fly. (laughs) I do not know what it is, a doormat. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, Spock makes the discovery of, oh, wait, that neck, they're picking up some kind of rare energy trace of like a a mineral that's only around on Vulcan. And Spock's like, oh, right. My mom's necklace that I gave to Uhura. She still has it. We could like trace the radiation and find them. And Bones is like, you gave your girlfriend a radioactive necklace. <laughs> yeah. Like, what? <laughs> He's like, it's, it, it's not, there's not a lot of radioactivity. It's, it's t- completely safe. It just became, makes it very easy to, to trace her. They're like, you gave your girlfriend a tracking device. Tracking device. <laughs> He's like, not on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> so good. <laughs> Uh, and, uh, and Jayla's like, hey, this wasn't the deal. I'm not taking you back to Crawl's base because that's where like my whole family was killed. She runs off. Mm-hmm. And Scott, I really like the, like, Kirk's like, bah, Scotty, leave her. And she's like, no, dude, like, she's Starfleet. Like, we're in this together now. She lost people, too. Yeah. And it's a, another example of, you know, the, the, the thesis of the movie is Crawl thinks Starfleet is inherently bad. The Federation is bad their point of view is uh faulty <laughs> to put it lightly and scotty rouses jayla out of her fear with the promise of like look like you can't you can't break a stick if it's in a bundle um and like we can do this like be brave and jayla's like okay which i wonder i wonder if did they it, it was that was that an actual line or are you are you actually referencing rise of the planet of the apes no he no, talks no, he, like, yeah. he, there's like the the scottish idiom yeah that like yeah i just but think it's, that's it's really... how he, he says the stick in the bundle yeah well I, i'm saying like i just think that that's really funny considering that you know that director was oh yeah like apes was on the short strong. list to, to do this one yeah apes together strong. <laughs> like, I, just, I just think that that's funny i don't know <laughs> starfleet together strong yeah so Jayla's in back in back at Crawl's base. They, uh, I believe, they've already killed uh, Crabhead Lady uh, for for because she was keeping the the MacGuffin in her in her head. Oh, right? that, that Crabhead Lady! Because I was also thinking about the Crabhead Lady at the end of the movie. 
that Anton, oh. that, 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 oh, the one um, that Chekhov's trying to, that, yeah, that, yeah, that Chekhov is just like, do you know, scotch was invented by a lady? Oh. Like she had a big, she had a big like shell yeah, on her. She has head, like, like a, a weird shell, but no crabhead lady, like her, she, she has right. like these ridges on her head and then like yeah. they open up and she has like, like a compartment in her head. I was, <laughs> yeah. I was thinking, I see when I saw her, I thought uh face hugger, not like crab. That's oh, crab wasn't where my I head went. I hate that. Yeah. That's I was worse. like, oh, she's got like the back of her, the back of her head is a face hugger. <laughs> so her, her name is Ensign Sill, and mm-hmm. there's a part earlier on in the movie where the Enterprise is getting fucked, and Kirk's like, Sill, a- Ensign Sill, I need your help with something. And Sill's like, okay, Captain. And watching it for the first time, I'm like, oh, I wonder what kind of like thing she did, what kind of data she typed in, what kind of cool. And it's like, I need your crab head. <laughs> I hide this in your crab head. <laughs> <laughs> I need you to hide this in your crap head. <laughs> so doesn't work out well for her. Her death is horrific as well. And mm-hmm. we get the trailer line uh, that crawl has of like, this is where the frontier pushes back. And then boom, Kirk's out there with a the motorcycle. We get the, uh, the motorcycle sequence that Scott talked about. It's Hell great. Yeah. It's really cool. Uh, Less cool, and this is disappointing, is the fight between Jayla and Manus from the raid. Especially, mm. like, I don't know, just kind of like rudimentary. And I was like, this is just Justin Lin, man. This is your this is your shit. Like, he didn't have any prep time, dude. I know, I know. I didn't know that in 2016, Scott. Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. That's fair. But, like, yeah, like, he just didn't have any <laughs> prep time. Like, I feel like if they had let him make a sequel to this, it would where he was, like, on board from the beginning. Like, I thought I, that, too. Like, man. I would be really hyped if he came back for Trek Four. Oh my God! Hell yeah! Absolutely. Give him like longer than two months to prep the movie. Yeah, it'd be great. Mm. <laughs> and uh, but this moment is worth because we get the cool like they all get star beamed up or you know, beamed up. But Kirk's like, no, I'm not going back without Jayla. And it's like an example of I guess proving the thesis right before the big finale mm-hmm. of like, oh yeah, like it, you know, to walking the walk. Then we get uh, never do that again. Cass, what do you think about that like whole sequence? It's a pretty big action sequence. I I don't have a problem with the motorcycle. I think the like because um, you know he's just like oh we need a distraction. I'm like oh he's gonna he's gonna ride the motorcycle that he was geeking out about like 20 <laughs> minutes ago. Um, and I like that they incorporate the like Jayla's trap uh, compound like whatever that that gross sticky stuff is. Um, into it, like that's really cool. Like a cool way of like incorporating her into it. Um, I think my problem with the fight, uh, where she's kind of getting revenge against the guy who killed her father, is it wasn't given enough time to kind of lead up to it. Like she, she like literally talks about it in the previous scene, and then it's mm-hmm. immediately kind of like paid off. Which yeah. I'm glad that she's able to do that, but also I don't think it there was enough lead up time. So it's kind of like, it gets kind of buried in everything. I think. Yeah. There was a moment where she tells Scotty, like the one called Manus killed my family. And I was like, well, there's only one other, <laughs> you know, like henchman that has had lines so far. I'm guessing that that's, that's right. Manus. Yeah. yeah. And then like crawl, like literally says his name, like the next scene. And I'm just like, Oh, okay. So like, <laughs> cool. so that's what we're doing. It's also got yeah. like um it's got like Princess Bride energy 
where where it's like, oh, the the side character has beef with the other the villain side character, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but unlike Princess Bride, we don't have time to like simmer in it. Yes, right. Yeah. So when it happens, it's like hell yeah. It's just like oh, this is happening as as a bunch of other things are happening. Yeah. Definitely. And good good catch with, you know, you were, you were talking about how this movie has really good setup payoff. Like, mm-hmm. uh, Kirk sees the motorcycle and he's like, oh, my old mm-hmm. man used to rip and roar around mm-hmm. this world. <laughs> used to put my mom on the back and drive her crazy. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> tell me about it all the time. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we get, uh, as Scott said, take my house and make it fly. Which, it's cool. It's like, that's her house. She's been living in it. And she's like, no, take it. Because this is going to be my take. Oh, we'll get to that. That might be my favorite payoff in the movie. So, they- I, I also just like, I just want to talk about the Franklin for a second. I really yeah, like. Yeah, 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 yeah. I really like the design of the Franklin. And I love the bridge of the Franklin. And the way that it feels like a throwback to like old, like TV, Star Trek bridge sets. Yeah, yeah. You know, because you compare it to the Apple store of the Enterprise bridge of like this big open area with like all these like clear control panels and all this Mm -hmm. all this crazy futuristic stuff. And then like, yeah, the Franklin just feels comfy um, in comparison because you're like, oh, yeah, like this feels like Star Trek. Like this is like, yeah, very old school in the best of ways. It's really great. Cozy. Yeah. They uh, so the ship. We get that, you know, the, the Sulu badass moment. Uh, going back to like weird callbacks, the ship, do, uh, the the Franklin does the same maneuver that the Enterprise did in Into Darkness, where it falls. You think it's not going to make it, and then it swoops up over the horizon. Yeah. And uh, I love that the movie includes this moment when they're finally leaving Crawl's planet of holding on Jayla, and she watches the planet recede, and she's like, "I did it." So good. I got off that stupid planet. <laughs> it reminds me of it reminds me of of Ray in in Force Awakens, where she's just yeah. like leaving the the stupid desert planet that she hates, and she's just like, yes, like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, those two characters would totally get along. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then it's uh, Attack on Yorktown, as crawls swarm, which Jayla calls bees, and even that's paid off. In a, in a few minutes mm-hmm. attack Yorktown and the enterprise is like, Oh God, how do we, how do we like defeat this thing? We're in like, it's like, we're in a horse and buggy compared to them. Like what hope do we have? And they're like, okay, what if we can, Oh, so Spock has the idea to, he has a theory that they're going to move like a, that they move and maneuver like a swarm of bees. So he volunteers bones to go with him to drive into the middle of the swarm to like, scan it mm-hmm. right fun moment because tele- they were tele- in they were in one of those ships like when the enterprise was like because uh, they kicked the guy out right and, like, <laughs> stole one to go down to the surface of the planet yeah and bones like yeah the last time i flew one of these i didn't land very oh, yeah god i yeah. i i love bones's cantankerous energy of like anytime he's asked to do anything that isn't like medical related (laughs) he's just like oh god damn it i hate this why are you making me do this you assholes this is not what i signed up for 
Yeah, just mu- <laughs> murmuring to himself the whole time. <laughs> you know, we haven't uh, pondered on this too much, but I do like how in this context, Bones is kind of the old man of the group. Yeah. Like that one guy in the group that's like, he's like 10, 15 years older than us, and we're just going to make his life miserable. <laughs> yeah. Always was. <laughs> you know? Yeah. That's true. I guess watching it as a kid, I look at Shatner and DeForest Kelly and Leonard Nimoy, and I'm like, you are all the same age. Right. That's right. You are adults. <laughs> yeah. But no, DeForest Kelly's like, I think like 10 years older than them, at least. Mm-hmm. Mm. So they, they have the idea of maybe we can, if we can distract the swarm, if we can bring them to us, if we could play something to like shorten their short circuit, their shit and make them all blow up. And Jail is like, what about my banging and, and screaming or whatever? <laughs> uh, I like the little moment where she's like, "Don't break my music." Yeah, I'm like, "Oh yeah," because like, who knows? She's probably like, she doesn't want to lose that. It's probably what's kept her alive, right? And we get sabotage, and yeah, I remember back in 2016. Unfortunately, because of the trailers, I was kind of like, "Oh yeah, we get it." Sabotage is a good song, yeah, the first movie, but it it punches. It's it's a great moment. Cass, how did how did this hit for you and Norman when you watched it? Uh, no, this rules. Uh, I, <laughs> I thought it was going to be the same song that they were listening to uh, previously, like when they were like tinkering in the Oh, ship. fight the power. So, yeah. So when like Beastie Boys drops, I'm just like, hell yeah, this rules. <laughs> no, and I love it. And the best Scott, moment please. is, is, um, is uh in in the when, when, no, when they, when they, tra- when they uh, transfer like the, the, the. I don't know, the keys to the song the or whatever to Greg Grunberg. Yeah. And and Greg Grunberg yeah. is like, is like, yeah, shoot it out. And then it's, and then it just, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just wrecks house. It's the best. Oh man. It's way better. It's even better than I remember it. Watching it this time. I was like, it's such a beautiful, like, yeah. Like Star Trek, man. Like we're doing it. Like we're and like Chekhov's. They're even rocking out a little bit. It was just a good victory lap for this, this crew. Yeah. It's one of the reasons why, like, if this is the end, like, I don't mind this as, like, the end of the Kelvin universe. Like, it does feel like it comes full circle in a lot of ways. Yes. Yeah. There's a moment, going back to that scene with Kirk and Bones drinking in the in the, in, in the cabin, where he's like, yeah, like, you've been trying to live up to George T. Kirk that you're trying to figure out who Jim is. And mm-hmm. there's that moment when Sabotage plays and Kirk's like, this is a good choice. And at the time, I was like, okay, yeah, I get it. That's kind of like Data going, yes. You know, sure. you need those cool dudes rock trailer moments. <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it works for the movie, too, because it's Kirk being like, yeah, this is this is how I do it. This is how I solve my problems with the Beastie Boys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Classic rock. Classic rock. Oh, that's yeah. That was yeah, cool. I love I love the gag where um I think it's it's Spock and Bones and they're like, are they playing classical music? And it's just <laughs> like Beastie Boys. <laughs> like this is the equivalent of like in the Hall of the Mountain King. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like. <laughs> do do you think do you think Lydia Tarr would enjoy yes. that joke, or do you think she would be furious? Uh, Marana. Yeah. Classical. <laughs> uh, I am now, it is my mission. If I ever get to write for Trek, I'm canonizing Lydia Tar. Hell yeah. 
<laughs> if we can canonize Elon Musk, we can canonize Lydia Tarr. They're about as mm-hmm. useful. That's true. You're right. We learn of Crawl's origins. We've kind of briefly, briefly touched on. So he was in the military. He was in the Romulan Wars. And then they ended the Romulan Wars. And they were like, well, now just be a Starfleet captain. Because those two jobs are the same. Yeah. They crash landed, right? Is that is that what did it? Yeah, they crash landed. Okay. Uh, Cass, what did you think of the, the brief glimpse of Idris Elba acting without makeup that we got and his like weird audio logs or visual logs it's really it's really good like he I think he he sells the shit out of like um being like really bitter and 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 tired and scared and stuff um and I like he is more threatening in those videos I think than like the previous like hour and a half of him in the prosthetic which I mean, it works for the climax of the movie, but I wish there was more of that instead of weird alien. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know why he needed to even be an alien. Like he said, like, you know, there there's something on this planet that keeps people alive. And like, as as we learn, it's like a thing that like evolves you into like an alien thing. But like, it could have just as easily been a thing that kept you alive. Like it didn't need to be because. I think like the the idea I think because every time he uses um like Starfleet humans like every time he uses human life force he looks more human. So yeah. I think like just from how long he's been out here and like if he's just luring ships to the surface so he can stay alive and that's the that's the kind of alien that is out here like it makes sense to me. Sure. Like yeah. in 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 retrospect. But I wish that like it just stole their Life force, Life force. changed yeah. his DNA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, you're right because like his he kind of has like mashed potato face, and you're like, okay, that is like you know Jayla, whatever Jayla's species were, and like who knows how many aliens over the centuries, and right. that's why he has like he's become like twisted and malformed. Because I think I think the um, when he takes his helmet off in in when the enterprise is going down, I think that would have been way cooler if like they had, we see these aliens that are boarding the enterprise and then he takes his helmet off and then he's human. And it's just like, right. what is like, who is this guy? But like, I guess, I don't know. It might've been too similar to like the con thing. I don't, I don't know, but I think it would have been cooler if he wasn't under all the makeup. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I literally do think that this is a side effect of the con thing of like, well, we don't want another like human looking villain. We want an alien villain. That's yeah. Star Trek. That's fair. Um, which I understand. But also, yeah, like Idris Elba would have like rocked this shit as just Idris Elba. Like, yeah. 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 <laughs> so Kirk and Crawl have their confrontation that we alluded to where they're kind of like it's the big antagonist protagonist line in the sand moment where we learned that crawl was like un- completely unable to adjust to life post-military and he's mm-hmm. like i can't believe they 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 made me try and break bread with the enemy the romulans like we killed them they killed us and we can't move on from that and kirk's like dude like <laughs> that's our whole deal is moving on from stuff and not letting the stuff that weighed us down before the Federation keep us from going beyond into the stars. And mm-hmm. uh, Scott, you know, what, 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 that's kind of like the moment 
like the movie in a nutshell and kind mm-hmm. of your your thesis of this is Trek defending itself. It's right to be Trek. Right. Right. No, and it's it's beautiful. I love it. I love Idris Elba as a as a villain that is trying to stop Star Trek from being Star Trek and talking about like everything that's wrong with Star Trek and Kirk having to in the process of defending Star Trek falling in love with Star Trek again. Um despite mm-hmm. having fallen out of love with it uh the previous 3 years. Because he just sort of like lost his focus, you know. He lost like, why are we out here doing this? Like that was that was the thing, and then he needed a villain to remind him of why the Federation exists and why Starfleet exists. And it's awesome, and it's 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 a perfect sort of thematic remembrance on you know Star Trek's fiftieth anniversary. I think it I think it rules. Oh, and another moment. So, uh, Cass, a moment that Scott and I talked about how weird it was in Into Darkness when Kirk loses his shit and starts pummeling Khan again and mm-hmm. again, even though it has no effect. And it's just like, oh, he's, he's, he's like a mad dog. He's so angered by Pike's death. Look how, you know, compromised he is. And this scene has kind of a companion where he's like, he has an opportunity to kill Crawl, but he does. And Crawl's like, why? And he says, like, I'd rather... Like, it's better to die saving lives than live with taking them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it, that moment felt like Kirk answering his, his, his query at the beginning of the movie, which is like, who am I? Like, who is Jim Kirk? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's also, too, like a throwback to, like, like, like him reckoning with, um, like, his dad's death. And like, you know, like, why am I alive when my dad is dead? But it's like, that's like him answering that. Like, it's better to, like you know, go out saving, like, a bunch of people, like, millions of people than, like, you know, deal with this one guy, you know? Yeah. yeah. And I think it works on multiple levels. Definitely. And it, and it, which is another reason why the script is so good and, and the thematic revel- relevance of the, of the script is so good um, and so strong. And it's the, it's also, like, Going back to like him with uh, the 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 honeypot, whatever the 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 lady that like uh, coaxed them to come out there. Oh, like, okay, yeah. You know, he pulls he pulls the gun on her, and she was like, "Oh, my crew, my crew," and like whatever. And like, you know, yeah. Ultimately, she dies, but he doesn't kill her. You know, and it's mm-hmm. the Enterprise does. Yeah, and he's yeah. The <laughs> Enterprise has other thoughts. Um, the Enterprise has become self aware. Uh, look what you did to me. Uh, but, but yeah, like I, I like that too of just like, oh yeah, like she did this, this thing, but like, I'm not going to cross that line regardless of how badly I want to, because that isn't who we are as a, as a, as a people anymore, you know? Yeah. Like remember in Into Darkness where it ends with Spock on this like bloodlust revenge mission to like, yeah beat the heck out of Khan with a pipe. Yep. And this just feels like a rebuke of that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it doesn't, it doesn't, nothing changes either because like even your horror is just like, we need him. And he's like, cool. Let me just finish beating the shit out of him. Like, (laughs) (laughs) like that's it. You know, it's, it's so, it's so ridiculous. And it's the last time we see him too. Cause they just like refreeze him or whatever. Such a weird movie. <laughs> it is a weird movie. It's a weird movie. So, um, Crawl disintegrates. Spock rescues Kirk. Kirk said, Spock, what would I do without you? And Spock's like, Ugh. Yeah. Uh-oh. Oh, boy. 
<laughs> Spock's catchphrase. <laughs> um, so the day is saved. Yorktown is saved. Mm-hmm. We uh, get. Oh, there's a moment. Oh, there's a please. moment right before that. When he's like, when Kirk is in there floating into the thing and he's pulling all the levers to like reverse the fan or whatever. Um, (laughs) And uh, (laughs) reverse the polarity of the blah, blah, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But he's in there and he's pulling all the levers, having left Idris Elba like down below in the other, the other compartment. And then like, he like snaps out of like whatever bullshit he, uh, he, he was like, I don't know if he was like having an existential crisis or like what was going on, but like he snaps out of it and he floats up there and there's like glass floating by and he sees his reflection. And I remember thinking at the time and I even remember thinking this time, I'm like, Oh, he's going to see his reflection. And then he's like, I'll do it. You go to safety, you know, like I'll save the future. And like, that's totally what I thought was going to happen was that like, he was going to see the monster he's become and sacrifice himself. Yeah, sacrifice himself to save the Federation or whatever. Um, and, uh, and and then he looks at himself in the mirror and he's like, oh, right, I'm the bad guy. And he's like, oh, I'll fucking kill you. <laughs> and this, like, goes out. Like, he just he goes out as a villain and it's the best. And I'm like, more movies should be like this. More movies should not be afraid to, like, not, like, make your, your bad guy, like, you know, uh, redeem themselves there, like, right at the end. I was like, I was like, mm-hmm. that's fun. Like. He's like, oh, right, I am a monster. <laughs> Come here, you son of a it's bitch. Funny, it's funny you say that because I saw the glass and I was like, oh, my God, is he going to stab? Like, he's going to use, use it like a shiv and stab Kirk Arr. when he's trying to like, <laughs> save the station. But, yeah, no, because I was like, oh, no, he's he's like, I think if if they pulled the whole like, Oh, I'm a monster and I'm going to like try and redeem myself. I would not like the movie as much. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm yeah. really glad they didn't do that. <laughs> yeah. Cause it would have been completely without setup. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. He's never shown an ounce of remorse for like, even when he's like, you know, sucking people of their life force. It's like, I hate that I have to do this, you know, like, right. Right. <laughs> right. He's just like, oh, yeah, that's the good yeah. stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so um, at, in the aftermath of that, Spock has a moment alone with um, a box that he was given by the ambassadors of New Vulcan, uh, property of Ambassador Spock. And it is a picture of... <laughs> Get emotional even talking about it. Uh, it's, a, it's a picture of the original crew. And, you know, um, it's like... Wow, it's like, A, oh my god, we've been talking about these movies for, like, months. Yeah, true. Um, But, like, (laughs) but it really got me this time. I mean, it gets me every time I watch this movie, but just, it's really kind of, like, life-affirming of going back to that, you know, going back to Spock's quandary of, like, what should I dedicate my life to? What do I owe to, should I leave Vulcan? Should I leave somebody, you know, stares at the faces of his friends as old people. (laughs) Mm-hmm. still friends still like there for each other and he's like oh wait like this is where i belong this is yeah. what ambassador mm-hmm. spock knew by then too but like yeah. this is where i belong if i if i leave this i'll never have this you know mm-hmm. so and it's a it's a classy move i mean you know it's just so it's a, such a lovely little again if this is the final star trek movie right just to circle it back to this original crew 
Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, what do you think of the weird office? Not the weird. What do you think of the uh, out of work office party that they have at the end? With in their in their, uh, we get everyone street street looks. Yeah, I like it. I, I do too. <laughs> I do too. Mm-hmm. I just couldn't help. I don't know. There's, there's. It's just like there's so much death. Yeah, there always is. <laughs> I know. I know. They're like, "Hooray! It's Kirk's birthday." I'm like, "You guys getting therapy? Are you guys getting like counseled?" <laughs> you were in like a Captain Phillips situation like yesterday. Was well, like, I guess the this entire movie only takes place over like two days. I think so. That's, that's wild. Wow. That's pretty wild. Are Kirk and Bones wearing matching jackets? God, I hope so. <laughs> I <don't know. laughs> yeah. The thing that bothers me about the leather jackets is like they're like only wearing it because it was the style at the time, like those distressed like gray leather jackets. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, but it's the future. They could be wearing future clothes. I don't know. Like, isn't it more interesting to, like, figure out what, like, future casual wear would look like than just having them wear, like, 2016 casual wear? I don't know. (laughs) Well, then they'd look like nerd, Scott. (laughs) Yeah, I guess so. Oh, you mentioned this last week. I really like how they stuck with uh, Scotty's off-duty look, which is, like, Hawaiian printed shirt, Mm -hmm. jacket over it. Yeah. Formal, but he's here to party. Yeah, he's got like a little bit of a 70s vibe to him, his casual wear, mm-hmm. which I like. Um, I, Pass, also, how long do you, I also do like how Kirk's T-shirt, the the neck of it is like pulled out. It's like stretched a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. Just looks like he wears it all the time or like threw on a dirty shirt or something. I don't know. It's just, <laughs> there's, there's something about the specificity of it like being like like the, the, the neck on the shirt being sort of like tugged out. Is mm-hmm. is interesting to me. I don't know. Not something you see in movies a lot, unless they were like just in a fight or something. Mm. Yeah, for sure. They, uh, yeah, just last looks really. They, they, you know, they end. They say no taps and friends, and then they look out as the Enterprise is being rebuilt, and like, you sure you want to head back out there? And then we do the speed up of the Enterprise getting rebuilt, and I'm like, that's a year easy. <laughs> yeah, probably. It it took a year to rebuild it the last time. Yeah, that's true. Man. So they got like one year left in their five year mission. I find it interesting that it's the same. Is it the same Enterprise? Like it, it or was was the one that got destroyed the seventeen oh one, and this is the 01A? Damn it! I know it was it was still A. I remember it was still A, but I didn't I didn't check the numbering. Yeah. Well, it was seventeen oh one. Yes, that, okay. they, the new one was 1701A, but what I'm asking is, was the one that was destroyed A, or was it just 1701, period? I don't even know if we ever got a good oh. look at the old one. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. Not sure. But uh, anyway. And then um, we get the final sign-off with everyone chiming in. everyone, And I really like how they gave her the last line. Mm-hmm. I... I will say that in 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 the I assume I mean the way that that normally works is like they're all doing their ADR and it's like one of the things they do in ADR like toward the end and they got Anton Yelchin and I assume 
they had everyone for continuity had everyone say the whole thing because they probably like didn't know how they were going to edit it in in post so i really wish Chekhov had gotten the last line personally mm. um and instead he got like the second to last line um so i don't know mm. but that would have um i made it throughout the entire movie without crying i feel like if he had gotten the last line i would have just started bawling um yeah. oh so would i but like in a good way <laughs> Oof. maybe it was um, too silly yeah Oh, I I just confirmed it was fellow. the it the in the 2009 Enterprise was just the 1701 period. Uh, no, no letter. So okay. this is a new Enterprise, and presumably would have been a new bridge had we got had mm-hmm. ha, have if we were to ever get another one, it wouldn't be the same Apple Store bridge. It would be a different bridge. Nice. Which yeah. is which is interesting. So. That's exciting. Yeah. It's kind of like uh, it almost feels smart of like, hey, we're not going to show you the inside of this one. You're going to get that in the next movie. Yep. They did that in um, at the end of Voyage Home, too. Oh, that's right. Yeah. You, that's when you got the 1701A, I think. Right. Or the. Yeah. The A. That's that's when we got the end of Voyage Home. You see the 1701A and you're like, there she is. And you but you just see the outside of it. I just thought of a, a better ending for this movie, potentially. Oh. It would have been really cool to get a recreation of that scene from Voyage Home where they're all in that little the little shuttle together. Like, guys, 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 look, it's the new Enterprise. And they, they're watching it being built. Oh, like, man, that would have been good. That would have been really nice. <laughs> yeah. They're not in shuttles a lot in this. It's a shuttle light trilogy. Yeah, it is. They have drop ships. More than shuttles. Yeah, it's not the same. The only shuttle, I think, is the the one that um, Bones and uh, Carol Marcus are on in Into Darkness. What would their couple of names have been? Oh, and the and the one that Sulu is piloting at the beginning of Into Darkness. That's right. That's true. Yeah. So there's two shuttles, both in Into Darkness. I think. I think it would be cones. Oh, or... <laughs> oh, something something I did I did notice I clocked this time that I was like, God, oh, that is so dark. Uh the <laughs> fact that they call their escape pods Kelvin pods. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's true. What the that hell? That is so dark. <laughs> Remember that whole that's like that's like if we call the escape pods like like Titanic pods. <laughs> yeah, Titanic pods or like yeah. <laughs> or like nine eleven pods. I don't know. Horrible tragedy. Yeah. So, Cass, final thoughts on the Kelvin movies, Star Trek Beyond, Star Trek in general, whatever whatever you want. Um, it's been a really long time since I've seen Star Trek, and this just makes me want to go on like a Star Trek bender. Um, which I guess is like really like the the, the best praise you can give a Star Trek movie is like making you want to watch more Star Trek. Um yeah. I yeah, I really enjoyed this. Um and if they never make another Star Trek movie, like this would be like like we've been saying, like a really good kind of capstone mm-hmm. like this is the celebration of this franchise kind of thing. Um and I don't know. I um I, I'm definitely gonna watch this again. Um, not for podcast reasons, because it was a lot of fun. <laughs> and I enjoyed it a lot. 
Yeah, Cass is someone who is in the midst of a Star Trek bender right now. Um, yeah. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. Definitely. Nice. You know, there's an episode of Lower Decks where mm-hmm. they kind of lampoon the... Sorry, Scott. <laughs> I got to do it one more time. <laughs> uh, there's an episode of Lower Decks where they lovingly parody how different Star Trek movies are from the show. Mm-hmm. Like they're kind of going through the tropes. Like, why is the ship blowing up? Like, because it's a movie. They always blow up in the movies. <laughs> <laughs> and I was thinking about that watching this of like, yeah, there's still, you could argue that there isn't like a Trekkian quandary or theme or something. But I think I've grown to accept watching these movies specifically that they kind of have always been, with the exception of motion picture, like their own thing with their own kind of list of objectives of what they're trying to do with their limited runtime. And I don't know, watching beyond, it kind of feels like it lived in the best of those tropes. I don't know if that's the right word, but yeah, like the funness of it, the bigness of it. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we come to it at last, the end of our, our Star Trek season. How how you feel? How you feeling Scott? Um, I'm sad that there, that that's it. Like we, we just watched all of the Star Trek movies. There's no other Star Trek movies. You know that that's a bummer. Um, <laughs> but I'll be really excited if we ever get another one. Um, yeah. I think our between episode will be when we can really talk about what we would want to see or what would be cool where yeah. the franchise could go going forward. Because definitely, I would be I'd be very surprised if there was like never another Star Trek movie. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I think there's a few different ways, a few different avenues you could take it. Um, and I'm, I'm excited to talk about those on the between us next week, for sure. Well, Cass, always a pleasure having you on board. Yeah, thanks. This was fun. <laughs> yeah. And uh, um, everybody listen to like Geek to... by Night. Yes. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> Please. Yes. <laughs> we all Please ride listen. it together. So... We work so hard. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll be back with next week with our between episode as well as our final franchise potential where we'll be talking about Morning Glory. No, Lost in Space. That's what it was. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> We're definitely not doing the Morning Glory. It's a good bit, but like I don't think we should. <laughs> Never seen it's a stretch. Um, anyway, uh, thanks for listening, everybody, and we will touch you next week. Bye. Bye.